You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole where the 602 Club proudly presents a crossover with Snyder Cuts, a Zach Snort. Zach Snyder, directorial podcast, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me as he has been on this entire journey through Zach Snyder's uh, works uh, as we cross over again here tonight. Super excited to have the uh, worlds collide, world's finest, one might say, uh, John Mills. Yes, yes. Uh, Matt, I'm here to say that you've spent enough time trying to divide us. It's time for you to unite us. Hey, 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 I'm the one this whole time who's been telling you how great these movies are, and I'm just going to say it. You've come to my side, bro, so welcome there, to there, the good there, side. There are no sides. There are no sides. There, are there no were sides. sides. You were no. wrong, and I was right, and you came over to my side. Okay, don't, okay, okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll table this discussion for later. Before I'm even introduced, many... I can feel exactly. how this podcast is going to go tonight. Yes, <laughs> can't you yes. just? Can't you just? Oh well, and we're so excited to welcome uh, our friend and and just amazing all around gentleman Tristan Riddell. Uh, obviously, helped us. Uh, we all started the nerd party together, which That's is kind of right. crazy. Uh, and we all met because of TFM. Yep. And um, now we're here to podcast about a movie that. Uh, I, I mean, we didn't know whatever exists. Now, before we even get started, before I even tell you where you can find us and everything, I do want to put a preamble here at the beginning of this. There are some things we're not going to talk about tonight because we don't have time. We're not going to talk about how this compares to the other one because that's not important. We're not going to talk about how this all came together because John and I are going to do that later on Snyder Cuts as well. Um, we're here to talk about Zack Snyder's Justice League, and so we're going to try and focus specifically on what... Zack Snyder gave us and his version of Justice League. The other things we will talk about uh, as we continue Snyder Cuts, John, are going to cover Justice League as well as uh, the whole Snyder Cut movement. We're going to be uh, looking at a book called Release the Snyder Cut, um, written by Sean O'Connell. So we're going to talk about all that stuff. I just wanted people to know uh, that it's not like we're going to skip that stuff, but it's really not important for this discussion. So, uh, of course, remember, you could find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure you're uh, subscribed wherever you are. If you're on Apple Podcasts, give us a star rating review. Of course, you could find us on Twitter at The 602 Club and as well as Instagram at The 602 Club TFM. Uh, of course, uh, as this comes out, we're about to do our drawing for... The new version of BVS, which uh, the Batman v Superman, the remastered, that's coming out on disc uh, as we speak this week, uh, and we're drawing for that. So you need to be following us on Twitter to be entered for that drawing. And then, of course, uh, you can find us on TFM uh, at uh, trek.fm. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash trek.fm. We've got the listeners of the discussion group there, the Babel Conference. And, of course, huge thank you to our associate producers, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah. Thank you so much for supporting the network through Patreon. If you like what we do here, guys, go to patreon.com slash trek.fm, and you can see how you can be part of the team. Okay, so... One thing I do want to ask you guys, though, before we kind of dive into the movie, was 
where uh, let people know where your excitement level was for this film. Tristan, I'm really interested for you because, you know, I know uh, people don't know this behind the scenes. We, we, we guys, we talk all the time about stuff and you've always been more of a fan of the, the Snyderverse movies. And so how are you feeling coming into uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League? Well, yeah, I um, I don't know if I would say I've always been a fan. Like I'm, I am a fan. I do, I do really like Zack Snyder's stuff. I mean, for the most part. I mean, there's, I mean, I was, I first, you know, really caught on to him with 300, and I was just kind of enamored with 300. And Watchmen, I didn't really like at first, but then I watched it probably about 16, 17 times, and then I was like, yeah, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is, this is fun to 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 dissect and everything like that. And man of steel, I, I didn't really dig, I saw it in the theater and I was just kind of like, I'm uninspired, but actually the more that I talk with you and the more that I watched it, I was just like, no, 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 I get, I get what he's going for here. And Batman V Superman, when I saw it in the theater, you know, everybody was just, you know, clamoring saying it was too dark or that they didn't like it or was, you know, and everything like that. And I was kind of in the, in the wings going saying, I kind of liked it. I thought it was okay. And then when the <laughs> ultimate edition came out, I was like, no, okay, this is, this is cool. This is cool. So, but with Justice League in 2017, when I saw it in the theater, I was just like, man, like what happened here? Like it just felt so rushed and everything like that. And so when, you know, released the Snyder cut, kind of started gaining momentum you know like all of us were talking about like how could this work you know could we get a comic book version could we get an you know an animated version you know that was something that i was pretty excited about maybe we could just do that like i i really never thought that we would actually get the real snyder snyder cut to come out and so when it was actually truly announced during the i think it was uh like a, a a watch party like it was a man of steel watch party on vero like when he announced that it was actually going to happen I was floored just by the sheer power behind that that uh that movement. Now I know it's a divisive movement, but still it was powerful nonetheless. And so my excitement level was pretty high, but like my excitement if this makes sense, my excitement was high, but my expectations were low. Because I just when you have something this crazy like had for 3 or 4 years, you know, when when you have this much buildup, you're just like, there's no way that it can deliver this much. There's no way this could be the perfect movie. Like, this is not going to be The Godfather. It's not going to be Citizen Kane. And that's what everybody's acting like it's going to be like. But my, even though I really wanted to enjoy it and I really wanted to love it, my expectations were only just let it be better than the theatrical. And that's that's where I was at before I watched it. Yeah, and I I think, I mean, honestly, anybody that's been uh, listening to Snyder Cuts knows how it's sort of progressed with me, so no need to recap that. But going in, um, yeah, I, I think pretty much in the same sort of lane where it was excited, but precisely how I, I – while I kept an eye on the Snyder Cut movement – I wasn't entirely sure how four hours was going to work. I wasn't entirely sure whether it was going to be something where this was sort of a push where there was enough left over in the original Justice League that it's like this was just a longer version of it. And so I was legitimately interested. I was like, okay, how much could this possibly differ? I mean, obviously, runtime alone indicates that there's going to be a lot more material, but would it substantively be different in terms of uh, content, 
focus? Like, is it just that it would be like, um, when Coppola did the, uh, the extended cuts of the first two Godfather movies and combined them into one epic, right? There's more footage there and everything like that. But you're kind of like, yeah, but the Godfather's the Godfather. So, you know, I, I, I didn't know where we were going to end up with it. I, I think it would be an understatement to say I was excited. Um, you know, just just me personally. Um, I always believed this was th- something that was a thing that existed that could be a thing. You know, even when I had people telling me I was, you know, crazy, uh, people we know uh, saying it didn't exist at all. There was no way it existed, you know. And, um, you know, it, it, it's not like a gloating thing like, oh, I was right. It was just like it was so n- nice to finally see the light of day. Like, you know, um and and Zack Snyder in many ways has just been uh the the hero of the moment in that sense and um, of that you know he was like uh he's like he's like superman you know they will stumble and they will fall but someday they will find you in the sun cow you know <laughs> that we're going to we're going to make it there and and so we've just like you know i i always trusted that that this thing was a thing and um, my experience just watching it for the first time was incredible too, just cause, uh, was on a watch party, um, with Zach, which was pretty cool. Um, so a bunch of other people who were associate producers, uh, there was a special t-shirt that he had created that you could buy that would make you an honorary associate producer that supported, uh, you know, uh, suicide awareness. Um, and, uh, so did a watch party with that and that was cool that was my first time to get to watch it so i mean obviously for me this was just i was in the i was on cloud nine like i have not been this excited for a film i honestly can't remember like like i i just the 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 hype going into the movie that i was this hyped about personally like even the star wars movies okay so that's what i was gonna say yeah i was gonna bring that up too like not even scale of one on a scale of one to the Phantom Menace, where were we? Um, I mean, this is, I mean, this is probably like prequel level Star Wars, like for me. Um, and okay. I guess honestly, probably the last time I was probably this excited or this looking forward to a film was actually Man of Steel, where I was just so okay. excited that that was coming out because I was, I'm, I, I'm so in love with Superman. I just couldn't wait for another, a Superman movie. So. In all honesty, yeah, it's it's like crazy level. So, um, no, that's that's I mean that's fascinating. So I, I something I was really fascinated. Obviously, this movie is broken into six parts. It has an epilogue, but it actually has a a part before part one, which is this I like to call the Rocky opening. Uh, all the Rocky movies always start with the replay of what happened in the last movie, and then you move forward, right? Um, and so this movie and BVS both do that, right? Except that they shift perspective. Mm-hmm. And so in his movies, he is using the openings to show you a different perspective of something that's already happened so that he can use that then within the films. And in this movie, you know, we have Superman dying. We're seeing the bell being rung that Lex talked about, but we're getting all of these different perspectives about how this is going to affect not just these three heroes here, but all of these people that are going to become involved and entangled. And that's the thing I love about, I thought, the beginning of this movie is that it immediately is showing how is every part of these, all of these stories are all a cog in the same wheel. Uh, and they're all going to work together to create, you know, what was supposed to be, you know, a three-part epic. 
And so that's something I really loved about how he begins the movie. Yeah, I, I think it was a really good way to start because it, it gets you, uh, you know, let's say in some bizarre fashion, you never watch the first two. I am a fan of when you have something this complex, um, you have to bring people up to speed somehow. I'm not typically a huge fan of having a situation where you recap it over the credits. It's been done poorly plenty of times. Superman 2 would be an example of that. And Blade 2 would be an example of that as well, where it drives me up the wall the way they did the credits in those movies. But this was uh, well done. This was exactly what needed to be done. It brought you up to the point in the story and let you understand where, you know, what relation Superman had to what was about to happen. Yeah, it gave a lot of great um, thematic importance to the mother boxes later on. Like it was... It wasn't just, even though it was a cool opening that was a literal death rattle that echoed throughout the entire world, it actually showed, you know, like why that meant something, why it actually kickstarted the plot forward and, and how this isn't just the next thing that happened to the world. This happened because of what happened in the last movie. Yeah, I, I, I really, I really like enjoyed that. that you bring that up. I mean, I think, you know, John and I, obviously, you know, we talked about you know, BVS and, and the whole, you know, the doomsday thing and all that. And I, again, this is one of those places where I think, you know, in the first movie, so many people complain about all the, you know, the damage and everything. And then Zach uses that. Everybody complains about doomsday in this movie. And yet he, you're using that and the death of Superman to be the catalyst for everything that's going to come next, you know? And so it's like, there is a reason, there is a specific thought process behind why all of these things are happening. And I do have to say, and I'll just call out here, even even at the beginning of the movie, can we just give Chris Terrio some serious props for his BVS as well as Zack Snyder's Justice League scripts? Because like the way he interconnects all of this, this guy is really good uh, and shows how completely wasted he was uh, on uh, <laughs> The Rise of Skywalker. Um, because this, to me, was phenomenal script writing when you put these two movies together. It it really is creating something uh, pretty unique and special. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know that I could say it any better than that, honestly. Um, Terrio, I think, finally, because uh, Goyer shares uh, writing credit with him on BVS, and, but here, this is Terrio. Mm -hmm. This is Terrio's script. And I think that... Um, I, it's really nice because he is a very talented writer and I think it's just evidence that, I, I mean, I would use this if I were him as a calling card to go in and say, look, I don't need a co-writer. Just let yeah. me handle this. I, I think he should get accolades just for coming up with a line or utilizing the line. Uh, the future has taken root in the present. Yes. I freaking yeah. love that moment. Yeah. Just that, that I know it's a very simplistic line, but yet it was utilized quite well. Yep. Now, nah. Uh, he and and so many of the characters say really good impactful lines that aren't that on their surface don't necessarily sound like amazing or whatever but it's like it's about them coming from that character and i think um you know in the very first section so we're gonna we're gonna break this down just into sections of the movie and we're just gonna talk through those sections because there's just so much here I couldn't think of any other way to really outline this that would make sense. Um, and so 
the first part of the movie is called Don't Count on It, Batman. And the line that really stuck out to me just thematically there was was the what Aquaman has to say to Batman. Where he's like, I don't owe anyone anything. And it doesn't sound special as a line, but coming from him and the context with this character, it says everything there is to say about who Aquaman is at a char- as a character in this movie. And so to start off with this, you know, in Bruce's journey of trying to bring these people together, I loved that. I was, I, I mean, I, to me, that was just a, a first hallmark of the writing of the film and what we were going to be getting in the depth of these character stories. Um, and I, again, I don't want to do this a lot, but the, from what we got before, you know, where everything was truncated. It was interesting because when, uh, like, in part one, like, it, it kind of showed me what was to come and just in li- little, little bits, like with um, when, when Bruce Wayne is on horseback and he's going through, like, my brain is saying why the hell is he on horseback? Like, like why on earth is this happening? And then he, and, and I was like, this is weird. And then he goes to the, uh, um, then he goes to the village and they say like, oh, well, you know, like the storm is, you know, cut off all helicopter access for, you know, for six days. I'm like, oh, okay. And then like, I, I can't remember if this is, I think this is later on, but then there was another moment where we cut to the Amazons in front of the mother box again. And the queen walks in and I'm like, wait a second, you know, like, did it take her a week to traverse the mascara to get to the mother box? And then they talk about how they've been watching it that entire time. You know, like there's, there's so many things that like, I feel like, you know, it shows that Snyder was thinking about trying to think about all the plot holes that could have happened while they were cutting it together and made sure to insert all of those things that could throw off the viewer. Um, from saying like well that doesn't work that doesn't make sense but that was just like one of those things where it kind of made the journey realistic in that way where it's just like when you're dealing with a movie that has a futuristic troop transporter why do we have batman on a horseback but they explained it it's not just because it's cool and cinematic at that time but it was also necessary yeah yeah i exactly terrio wrote a very uh, now, this seems weird to say for a movie that wound up being four hours, but he wrote a tight script. He wrote something that uh, that that really is – it efficiently tells the story. And like you said, Tristan, it it, it addresses everything as it goes. And um, it, it does do so in such a way that doesn't necessarily call attention to itself because uh, – to go back to your talking about Aquaman, Matt – we learn everything we need to know about Aquaman's state of mind in that first encounter. It makes us intrigued. How did he get to this point? We want to learn more, but we know where he is while at the same time, knowing thanks to Bruce's dialogue that he in a way resembles Superman in the fact that he doesn't want to be a part of the world, but Bruce outs him. He he shows up during tough times. He brings food. He saves people. There's something very Man of Steelish about him in a darker sense because he's he isn't going through what Clark went through. Clark's dad said, "Don't get involved in the world. They're not. They're going to be freaked out by you." Whereas Aquaman, everybody's saying, "You got to be. You got to take part in everything." And he's like, "I don't want to." So there's this sort of um, 
echo of Man of Steel, but just from a different uh, mindset. Yeah, and it, and I love that you bring that up because it's something that's going to happen with, uh, especially I think the stories of like Flash and Aquaman and and Cyborg, the characters we haven't spent time with before, um, and where we're really going to be diving into their backstories, and each one of them in some ways can't help themselves from helping people. And yet doesn't necessarily want to be or know how to be the hero yet, you know? And and so what we see is in that all of Snyder's movies, all of these movies are about heroes learning to be heroes and the journey to get there. And to your point, Tristan, I mean, you put the guy on horseback, you make uh, a reference as to why that's the case. But I also think that what it tells us about the movie is that we're going to take our time. <laughs> we're not going to rush through things. We're not going to just like, we're going to allow the movie to breathe. We're not going to make a J.J. Abrams movie where everybody's panting and sweating all the time because everybody's <laughs> always running. And you never know what's happening with the plot because nobody spends an extended 30 seconds to tell you what's happening in the plot other than like when they're out of breath and they're telling you all the plot and you can't even hear what they're saying because they're so out of breath. Like, no, we're we're going to let this movie breathe. And obviously, again, we have four hours to do that. But in all honesty, I never felt like this movie was four hours. It it goes by to me very quickly because everything is so interconnected. And you're not I never felt like I was in a scene too long till it shifted to another scene to give me the opportunity to like go with another character. And so that again, the intercutting and the, and the, and the editing and, and everything there really, I think helped with me not getting fatigued by the movie's length, at least for myself. I think I, I mean, I th- it's all, I think this is all personal opinion and, and, and preference, but I didn't feel that I felt that way. I felt how you felt later on. Like once we got to the middle and then to the end, it didn't feel like much time was going on. But I think the first couple of parts i think part one and part two i definitely felt a little drag i felt like okay let's get going like i like there's a difference from letting it breathe and then letting it sit and i feel like there was more than a few times when the slow motion felt very self-indulgent at the beginning and i didn't mind it later on um but the yeah i feel like if i if i could tighten up anything it would definitely be in that first first couple of sections. John, what do you think? Well, I, I was just going to say that um, I was talking about this with my wife, and, who hasn't watched it yet. She probably never will. She hasn't even seen all of the Marvel movies. So, you know, God bless her, whatever. She couldn't even stay awake during Star Trek Two. How am I still married to her? Who knows? But with Justice League, she asked me, I, she said, so did you like it? And I, I gave her my opinion. And she said, but did it need to be four hours? And this is where I'm going to sort of like try to be on the fence with you guys here. I said to her, no, absolutely it didn't. I'm like, I bet you I could sit down and pull an hour to an hour and a half out of this. But I didn't mind the length. And I did think it moved extremely well for a four-hour movie. I was engaged from beginning to finish. And I think the key to that was the fact that it was split up into the parts was it gives you the opportunity to stop and digest mm-hmm. and make the decision, okay, do I want to take a second? Do I want to go to the bathroom? Something like that. For me, that helps with the idea of um, whether there's drag. It's like an intermission. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. uh Hamlet was four hours plus, and there were a lot of people that were like, oh, my gosh, I, I adored it. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, Had an intermission. Here. 
Yeah, it had an intermission. Great. Hateful Eight, possibly Tarantino's greatest film, had an intermission. It was like three hours and, I don't know, uh, it, it was almost four hours. It's more than three and a half. And uh, so I, I think that it, it worked. I, I mean, I get what you're saying, right? I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm saying, like, if this had been released at theaters, there's no way it's longer than two and a half hours. No. Period. Full stop. But in this environment and the way that he broke up the parts – Eh, no, it you know it works for the way it was released. What helped me was I kind of viewed it as a season of television. Like mm-hmm. that that was kind of how my my when I because when I sit like when House of Cards was coming out, you know we would we would binge as much as we possibly could during the entire weekend. So that's thirteen episodes in one weekend. You know, an average of you know forty two forty five minutes. That's a lot of time, and. And so, like, when I sat down and when, when we got to the, when we see the, the, the horse scene, like, rushing, like you were talking about, like, when, when, when Bruce was on the horse and it went two more shots than I expected, I was like, oh, oh, th- so that's how we're going to play it. Okay, we're, okay, I got to settle in here. I got to, I got to make sure I'm comfortable. Yeah, like, I got to sit down. I got to change my thinking. And so, like, as I was moving forward, I was just kind of like, view it as a season of television just dropped and you're binging it and then you'll be able to move forward because there's so many times when people will say like, oh, I can't watch a two hour movie right now. I'd much rather watch five episodes of television instead. Right. Right. And the thing is, I, I'll actually, I'll pile onto that as well. That uh, Twin Peaks The Return, which I lauded when I watched because it was so different and the takes were so long and so different. Trust me, this did not linger the way that Lynch lingered in Twin Peaks The Return, especially in those first nine episodes, right? So I think you comparing it to a season of television, I immediately think of that. I'm like, well, that's a season of television that really stretched out the takes. So I, I, th- I, I think that your mindset was right, was... I just think he knew he had the four-hour block. He wasn't under pressure to get as many showings in in a weekend as he could. Yeah. And he said, okay, I am just going to lean into this, and I'm just going to do my thing. I, 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 I think the exact same thing. I mean, that's what I, I was talking with my wife about it, where I, it was, I almost had the exact same conversation that you had with us just now. Like, does it need to be, did it need to be four hours? Absolutely not. Could you cut an hour from it? Absolutely. But, like, you know, was it mm-hmm. self-indulgent? Yes. But if there was ever a time for a filmmaker to be self-indulgent, this is the time to be self-indulgent. Yep. You had a, you know, you had to move, you had to leave a movie because of massive creative differences and producing problems and studio interference and because of personal tragedy. And then you have the, you know, this huge fan base crying for you to complete your vision. And then you don't have to release it in theaters. You actually get to release it on uh on streaming uh where more people get to watch it during a during a pandemic and it can be whatever length you want it to be hell yes be as self-indulgent as you want make it as long as you possibly want because you've earned it (laughs) yes yes indeed yes indeed What, what i really liked about um you know this this first section uh was the fact that you know i felt like you know they really keyed into obviously the movement of the character of batman from bvs to this and you know it's so important for him to be the one on this journey because you know he's the man who has stopped working alone 
you know, he's the man who has stopped trying to force the world uh, to make sense. Like he's operating off of faith, which ties all the way back. And we, all, I, this was something that came up multiple times in the movie, um, but it's actually goes all the way back to Man of Steel where Clark was talking to the priest and the priest is like, sometimes you just have to take a leap of faith mm-hmm. and the trust part comes later. And Bruce is taking that leap of faith and believing that the trust part between this team that has to come together to save the world, he knows it, is going to come later. And that's completely different than the man who is trying to force a world to make sense. Um, and I just, I really love that we we see this character go through this. And, you know, I think um, it's because he has then had his faith rekindled in humanity and the world and the belief that he shouldn't be doing this all on his own. And he knows from that battle we saw with Doomsday, there's no way Batman could do this on his own. Batman was almost useless in that fight, except to the last moment where he like uses his last kryptonite grenade and uh you know allows clark to do his thing and so it's it and he he he, he's already seen the way that this team could work together you know and so i just i really thought that that was something that um i really liked that they were already building into the character And, and of course you know alfred kind of like teases him about you know how it's cold and you know, can, can we get out of here and like maybe a guy and a brooding in a cave isn't the right person to bring the team together. But that ties all the way back to the all the way to the very end of the film where it's like, you know, Bruce is the reason that this team came together because he was persistent, because he believed that he that they could do it, because he had faith that it could turn out this way. Uh, and I just that's a great arc for the character to have we've seen in BVS who was so like. He's like a homicidal maniac almost to somebody who's completely different and his life has been changed by this this one man who we knew for you know what 10 minutes <laughs> so it's it, it it's it's really great because this whole movie is going to key in thematically to being a hero takes sacrifice it's all it can be all types of levels of sacrifice but you know to really help people to really be there for people, it's going to take some kind of sacrifice from you. And depending on what that is, you just be better be ready to, to pay that sacrifice no matter what, because it's the right thing to do as well. So to me, that's something that really stood out here in this first section, because we're building thematically too. like from the beginning, we're, we're, we're building the foundation of what this is going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it just makes sense that Batman would be the one to figure out, you know, the, the strategy and the tactics, he's that type of thinker. So it, it makes sense that he would be the one to say, okay, here's this existential threat. Here's the example of it. Luther gave me a warning. I take him at his word and I know that Diana exists and we have these other files. I'm the guy that know, that can look 10 steps down and know e- because the whole thing that motivates him to uh, fight against Superman is the same thing that motivates him to unite the team. If there's even a 1% chance, I have to take this action here. So in a sense, you see his, he applies it negatively in Batman v Superman and then applies it positively here. Yeah. What did you guys think of um, the sequence with Diana here that we get? Obviously, you know, she in some ways kind of uh, seems to be picking up the slack for Superman not being around, you know, uh, much more out in the open and not really kind of caring uh, how did you how did you feel about how this plays in the film? Well, I like that uh, 
you know, I, I saw some people kind of criticize this moment where at the end, it, it, it can be frustrating because she, she had several opportunities to disarm the last terrorist and not use her bracelets. Several opportunities. Uh, but one thing that I do appreciate about Snyder, uh, that I think he gets a lot of flack for is that when you have mythic heroes, you have, you know, gods struggling to be men and women. Um, there's going to be consequences. And that's one of those things with this moment is that there's consequences. There's always destruction and there's consequences to their actions. And so by saving those group of people, it like uh, she saved four city blocks by destroying one floor, essentially. Um, and that was so I, I liked the action in it. I don't remember her being that fast. Like, did has she ever been that fast previously? Like, was she that fast in BVS or even in Wonder Woman? Because she was like flash level fast in that scene. She's I mean, uh, I mean, even in the theatrical cut, they show her as being very fast. But I think this might be the really the first time where we've seen her speed. I mean, in Wonder Woman, you know, we see her do some things pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. But I think this is the first time when you really just see how fast she can be. Um, and like I would, and in the Pantheon, I think in it's, you know, Wonder Woman speed wise, then you have a character like Superman and Flash, you know, like Flash is definitely the fastest in the end, but Superman's right below him. And then it's Wonder Woman. So, cause you'll notice in that scene when they're that to skip ahead when they're fighting Superman She's not following Flash. She's not that fast. Mm -hmm. But she's, I mean, obviously, you'd have to be fast enough to stop a speeding bullet. So that's, that's, that's true. That's and, pretty she, quick. and she can. Yeah. And so that's pretty quick. It just, it was, it was weird because it just, it took me off guard because I just don't remember her seeing her be that quick. And, and I guess it's just, it was, they just filmed it differently. But, um, yeah. And then we, we get the introduction that we, that we'll hear for the rest of the film where whenever she appears on screen, <laughs> like every single time she pops yeah. up in the film. Yeah. I, you know, just as a quick side note, um, just to go into the, you know, destroy the floor instead of four city blocks thing. Um, one of the things that there's even bits of dialogue about this where, uh, you know, there, you have some of the old gods about you. It's like, well, what were the old gods? You know, if you look back through mythology, eh, they wiped you out if they needed to, you know, like it, that sort of thing. So it's like, I, definitely Snyder's world is not one where she's going to uh, capture that that terrorist who wants to destroy children to take us back to the dark ages and destroy the mind, blah, 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 and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. It's like, eh, you know, prison's not going to help you. Yeah. Bang, you know. Well, and I think, um, John, I, I, I think it was even Sonny Bunch I saw on Twitter and labeled the idea of, with Snyder's universe, this idea of righteous violence. Like, mm -hmm. you know, when we're talking about like gods and men, like this, there's a sense of this being a, a righteous act. Like this person willy nilly is willing to kill all of these children for level four city blocks for nothing but what you would. And, and you know, you keep I keep seeing little things where it references like the Nolan verse. But, you know, um, this is a person they this is a group of terrorists who just want to see the world burn. That's what they want. You know, they don't they don't really seem to have a, a thought or a care other than they really want to see the world burn and so you know to 
dispatch him this way is righteous justice. Like this person doesn't deserve to live, you know, like, and, and, and Snyder is not afraid to have his characters be able to make that decision. And Wonder Woman hasn't always been in the comics, the arbiter of like peace that and love that she's kind of become in, in later works, um, especially more recently and, and somewhat in, in Perez's version, but like in the nineties and the new 52, She's much more the, I mean, uh, and especially in the New 52, she's, she's, she is a demigod, like, and she has much more of the Greek sensibility in her as to, you know, she's much more of the warrior than she is the goddess of love kind of thing. So that's what the, I think they're leaning into anyway with this interpretation of Wonder Woman. And so I don't really have a problem with it for her being more of a warrior, which makes sense when we, I mean, we've had, you know, we had the Wonder Woman movie, which truly actually makes a, a quadrilogy because that movie really does fit in here because Snyder helped write that story with Patty Jenkins. And, you know, that's a warrior culture that they are. So she's been raised with these values, you know, and mm-hmm. that you protect the innocent life, you know, at all costs and hold no bar. And she doesn't. And I, I appreciate that, that Snyder is willing to allow these characters to have that freedom and that movement. Um, and it just, it, again, too, because it's a demarcation from, it's not just the same as what we're getting in the other franchise, which is great too, because I like that franchise as well, but I don't want the same thing all the time. You know, mm-hmm. like, I think it's definitely, I like that this is different. I think it's definitely a holdover. I mean, when, when BVS came out, it was definitely like, you know, they started calling, you know, Ben Affleck's Batman murder Batman or like the murder verse and everything like that. And I think it is, this is definitely a holdover from the Dark Knight trilogy. Like this kind of sent, this sentimentality where, you know, like the Dark Knight trilogy and Nolan like really leaned into the whole, I have, I have one rule thing. That's it. I have one rule I don't kill. But he even killed Harvey Dent. You know, yeah. like, so every single cinematic Batman has killed on screen. And it, that's just how it is in, in film. And so I feel like that kind of mentality has, kind of bled in or i should say perception has bled into the other dc characters where it's just where people like see a dc film and they're just like oh why is wonder woman killing you know like why is oh you know like why is cyborg killing i mean she like, straight up murdered somebody in the last movie too yeah, so it's, it's, it's not like we haven't seen that before. i know it's it's ridiculous and so like you know you never get that you never get that kind of mentality for, for Marvel or with Captain America. He's a soldier, you know, like this, you know, Thor, you know, like he understands that sometimes you have to end somebody's life in order to end the destruction. And it's, it, I really do think it's just because of the whole Batman doesn't kill rule that it bleeds over to the entire DC universe where people see that. And it's an, it's a, it's a misconception, but I think that's where the, yep. I think that's where it comes from. Well, uh, before we, you know, leave this section, we do have the massive battle that happens on Themyscira when Steppenwolf arrives to finally take the first mother box, which, holy mother, this is a cool mm. scene. Um, it, it, Steppenwolf, one, looks amazing. The CGI on him is impeccable. Some of the scenes where they're up close on him, you're like, I could reach out and touch that dude. Like, literally, that's what you feel like. It's It's really good. But I really enjoyed the scene. I thought it was, um, it, it, it's so wonderful. And I don't know why I thought about this, but I was thinking about how difficult this would be for these women who have, 
we've learned that you know Wonder Woman's five thousand years old. These women, some of these women, are probably older, right? Mm-hmm. And so could be six, seven thousand years old. Some of these women have known each other for that long. Can you imagine losing some of your sisters that you've known that long? The pain that you would feel, like that that person is so integrated into your life. It would be like, you know, the uh, the root system of a tree if you just ripped out half of it. You know, like I was just uh, something struck me about that when learning how old these people are, and when we see, you know, they're the first age. Um, later, it just I was like, wow, this this is these these women are hardcore. They're willing to give their entire life, you know. And when they're like, she, her friend is just like, you know, shut the gates, just let us die, you know, give us honor. Um, I was I was blown away with that. Uh, and, and thinking about that, but the whole scene was just, uh, I love that it's more violent. <laughs> uh, I love that Steppenwolf is just a bad mother, uh, and could care less about anybody and anybody that stands in his way. And the whole scene to me just looked, I, I mean, as good as you can expect. I mean, all CGI is going to look like CGI in the end for the most part. Um, but this, this was great stuff. Yeah. I thought it was really ambitious. I thought that the, uh, the, the blocking, if you want to call it blocking, uh, for the, the battle inside the dome was really well done. It was busy, but not confused. Uh, and I did like the, I, I, I liked Steppenwolf's design better this time around. To your point, CGI is always going to look like CGI after a certain point. I thought that his, his flesh stuff was much more you know, his flesh and bone part was much more convincing than the armor part. But at the same time, it's like this living armor sort of thing. So I'm kind of like, yeah, it's better than spawn. So sure. That's fine. Um, uh, but I, you know, I, yeah, I, I think that the, the spectacle of that first fight is thoroughly uh, enjoyable. You know, I, I, I liked that. And I think that to a point you made a little bit ago, Tristan, you know, you see this and it adjusts your thinking and you're like, okay, this is the type of battle scene I'm going to get. This is, this sets the stage. And I think it sets a really good tone for when the big battles happen, this is the scale I'm going to go on and this is how things are going to flow. And so in a sense, it sort of immerses you and brings you up to speed. This is what you can expect, you know, when we have fights happening in, in, in throughout the film. Yeah. And I, I really like that. I think they took that to a head in the Age of Heroes battle where it really kind of um, it showed like all these forces working together. And I think that this is definitely part of where we get the R rating, <laughs> like especially mm-hmm. about how um, how hard Darkseid gets it handed to him. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, I think it's uh, I mean, it's definitely a great time to to jump to the Age of Heroes um and, you know, one of the best parts about this sequence is the fact that we finally learn, you know, like there's a reason for Steppenwolf choosing this random city in Russia. And it's not because some family lives there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was <laughs> some it was family so he hates a whole lot. He wanted that family exactly. to suffer. <laughs> and on top of that, I just since we're talking about Steppenwolf and we're talking about the his CGI and everything like that, I absolutely love that we. I, I hate that I have to say this out loud, but we got character motivation behind the bad yes, guy. Yes, thank you, Tristan. Right? I was going to say that too. <laughs> it's it's yes. just it just 
I, it was so depressing in a good way where like when when we see Steppenwolf and we we get his just in a few lines we get his entire motivation for why he's doing what he's doing you're just like oh that's so great it's not just him being evil because he's evil and then at the same time the expression that we saw yeah. in yes, his face yes. was perfect and vulnerable and like yep. from this huge horned literal monster you actually got to see some some pity on his face and and it's it's just it was it was it was so great because it just made you invested it didn't make you it didn't like it, it wasn't like killmonger where you're just like oh this guy has some good points no it's like it just makes you understand <laughs> yeah. why he's doing what he's doing and it's well yeah. and because i know i tristan you're absolutely right because to be able to and what I thought was really interesting with the character with Steppenwolf is is that you're able to see in him not only the motivation, but, like, there's this dichotomy, right? Like, the world that he's trying to bring about with Darkseid is a world of fear, of slavery, and it is a, it's a world of law. There's no grace in this world that he's bringing, right? Because what is he having to do? He's having to earn his redemption, mm-hmm. There, there's no forgiveness, right? Um, in fact, there's even when he tells you know <laughs> Darkseid that the fact that the uh, the anti life equation is here, there's no like forgiveness. There's no like, oh, you remember those fifty thousand worlds you still owe me? No, don't just forget about that. Like, you're it's all good now. No, like it, it. There's there's this dichotomy between that and these characters that are are going to be heroes in our world that are going to not only be self-sacrificial but they're going to show forgiveness to different characters throughout their storylines that they need to learn how to forgive uh, obviously especially with the cyborg character um but i mean even you know you could even say between uh you know clark and and bruce there's some some forgiveness that that happens you know and so i just think that was really really fascinating um because, like you said, Steppenwolf becomes a fully realized character and not just this CGI baddie. And then, to your point, there are moments where you see looks on his face where the work is so good, you forget that he is this ridiculous-looking, mm-hmm. you know, almost demon-like character, that he is this person who is just like, I mean, he's hurting inside. You know, like, and, and to emote that in a character that we're supposed to hate in a film, um, yeah, great job for them to finally bring that to light in this and, and, and make it mean more. Um, and it just made the setup for where, you know, Zach wants to go with the fourth world characters much more fascinating as well. You know, you, you, John, you and I talked about that with BVS and inserting some things. Do you insert them here? Do you need to have them here? And here it's like, well, knowing that this is all going to mean something and does even mean something now, it's like spending the time with this makes so much sense. Yeah, I agree. So what did you guys think about the fact that um, we get the fire lit and then Diana goes on a little journey so that she we see her actually learn the story that she's going to then tell Bruce um, and then we'll get, you know, our, our history lesson. How did that all work for you guys? I thought it was great. I, I personally, I love stuff like that. I love, you know, she goes into the old tomb. There's a very sort of Indiana Jones feel to it. Seeing the old uh, mosaics and stuff like that and seeing apocalypse written in there and everything. It, because the whole 
the whole thing that Luther says in BVS is, you know, the metahuman thesis that they're the source of our old God stories, you know, from, you know, the Greek mythology and, and Norse mythology and all of those sorts of things. And then to see it expressed in this temple in an area that people haven't gone down because they can't access it anymore because that age has passed sort of thing. It has a very Tolkien sort of feel to it. And I dig that stuff a whole lot. This is, this was an example of how, of, you know, like where I, en- I enjoyed all of this movie. I like, I, I, I enjoyed all the four hours. I was entertained for the entire four hours, but I feel like this is probably something that would land. I mean, it did land on the cutting room floor for 2017, but I feel like this is something that probably could have excised and you wouldn't lose too terribly much. Like, do I, did I like the whole Indiana Jones aspect of it that John, you were talking about? Yes, I did. But I feel like this this could have been truncated and you wouldn't really lost anything because you know with with wonder woman being 5000 years old this is something that she i feel like she would have known like is is this really something that we needed to see her learn i think is is what i was when i was watching from as a as a as a movie goer i mean i would say that but remember how much her mother kept from her even in wonder woman mm-hmm. Like she, there was so much about her past and just the past in general, the which her mother had sugarcoated for her, and so I could kind of see. Oh, I don't think it's unbelievable that are, she wouldn't know. She would know. Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't think it's unbelievable that she wouldn't know. Not at all. I, I just think that it's a leap that an audience, I think, would take. Where I don't think any of us would say, like, if she just, if we just went right into her monologue, or like not right into it, but you know, like if we didn't see this sure. part and just yeah. went to her monologue, I don't think we would go. Well, how does she know that story? I think that's all that I meant. I see. I didn't take her going into the crypt so much as her learning it so much as her saying, oh, oh, crap, this is that old story. Oh, OK. Like, I didn't take it as her. Like, I that that's just how I saw it. it was okay. like, oh, my God, I, I know about this guy. Oh, geez, I better go to Bruce Wayne right now. I can go with you know, I can like, go yeah, yeah, let's that. get the team together. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, you, John, you mentioned the the whole like Tolkien-esque part of this. And, and you know, Zach has even talked about the idea that this is basically, I mean, these three movies would be like comic book Lord of the Rings for him. You know, so he really is leading into that whole idea. And so, you know, the idea that the world had to unite to stop a great darkness and that division creates chaos, you know, um, that's something that, you know, Steppenwolf talks about the fact that we're going to bring dark side uh, rule to this world. We're going to strip away free will and uh, we're going to have them under one glorious law, which is the rule of dark side, you know. And, you know, he talks about how this world is divided. There are no lanterns, no Kryptonians, you know, they're fighting one another. And it goes to show that, you know, and when we get the history lesson, finally, that what is it that defeated Darkseid? The only world that had ever done this was a world that united in the desire to sacrifice themselves for one another, even though history had taught them not to trust one another. They had faith that if they stood together, that they could defeat this enemy that had come to their doorstep from the stars. And that's the thing I think is really, again, thematically beautiful about the movie is that we're saying there are different ways we can go. We can we could just pursue power or we can uh, pursue self-sacrificial love that thinks about others as well as ourselves, right? And that one it triumphs over the under in the end. 
And I love that it's not necessarily a, a message that like somebody tells you on screen, but it's shown over and over again throughout the film. And they allude to it a little bit, like Bruce talking about the fact that he's had, he's had his faith reunited and that they need to have the team together. And part of that is Bruce himself saying, for too long, I tried to divide us. Now I'm here to be a uniter. Regardless of the things that make us different, we need to come together. And it's our, it's our different gifts brought together that are going to make us stronger together. Um, and I just like, like, wow, that's a, it's a really, I love that message in this section here because then, of course, we see it play out in that incredible, you know, ridiculously over the top, which I'm totally fine with history lesson, um, where you get, you know, all of the the old gods, the Amazons. I, I love that this is the first age. He even calls it the first age. So literally is like Lord of the Rings, you know, mm-hmm. like this is this is basically before time began almost uh, type of battle. Um, and uh, it's it's great. It, I mean, it's just it's so much fun. And it alludes to the fact that, you know, the the, the whole thing that Bruce is on as a journey, this is what he's on is to do the same thing, to bring people together um, in the same way that all of these people once got together to, to fight this great evil. He's got to do the same thing. I like that Artemis and Zeus are physically bigger than everybody else. Like they're, yeah. yes. you know, two and, times yeah, as big. Yep. And like it kind of, I, I kind of wish that Gerard Butler was Zeus. Oh, thank you so great I, same thought exact same thought i was thinking the same thing too i'm like yes. come on guys like you you had this opportunity <laughs> this yeah. is us yeah <laughs> my only my only criticism because i loved i loved this scene i love the whole like like back in the day here's this total battle that i'm gonna that i'm gonna you know like give a monologue over i love that stuff i just felt like gal gadot's read it felt like she was reading the script for the first time. Like, like, okay, we got like, we, we have five minutes, gal. You know, here's the script, but don't you want me to read it first? No, no, just we'll do it live. We'll do it live. It just felt very, <laughs> very stilted, very weird, kind of like off center. Like that's my only, that's my only criticism. Everything else, top notch. Fair critique, but everything else made up for it. You know, yeah. like, and I love that we got just, to see the ring. Uh, the lantern ring. Yes, the green lantern. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that poor reached... ape green lantern. Yeah. No, but just just that he re- that that dark side reached for it, mm-hmm. and then it like zipped away from him was such a nice little touch too. Yeah. Well, and what I also kind of liked is that he wasn't creating constructs because this is like you know how many thousands of years ago? Who knows how many thousands of years ago? So like we would, uh, what constructs would you make? Right, and so. I kind of enjoyed the fact that they didn't go with that idea because, you know, all the constructs that we kind of would think of him making as a Green Lantern these days don't exist then. And so, like, just to have it be this, again, it's like seven, eight thousand years ago, have it just be more of a a primordial power Mm -hmm. of will, you know, that's coming out of the ring made much more sense to me. It's like, I feel like they had thought that through, so that was great. Um we this section we also deal with Arthur returning home for the first time in the sense that uh and this differs and obviously you know Zach has said this movie is is not in the DC canon per se because there are things that differ from what we get in like say Aquaman the movie but you know here he literally returns to where um uh, King Atlantis is sitting 
and uh you know he comes to this place and he has the conversation with Volkov which I really love this conversation because Volkov tells him you know um you can't turn your back on the world forever above or below and this is one of those lines where Terrio I think just nails it like it doesn't sound like anything special but coming from the character to the other character sounds great and it I love how Arthur has been helping all these people, but at the same time, he's running from his responsibility. Because responsibility for him, as with all of us, equals sacrifice. It it, it calls for us to self-limit our choices by taking on the responsibility. And in the end, Arthur is a man who needs to man up. He needs to put on his big boy pants and be the king he's meant to be. Um, and obviously this ties in, I mean, he even quotes Hamlet, you know, to be or not to be later on. Um, he's basically like Simba and the Lion King, which is basically Hamlet. So he is that king. And I really liked, and I thought, man, it is a disappointment to me that this was not the movie that came out because the way that it does set up the Aquaman movie, I think is really beautiful because you do have this character who goes on an incredible journey that by the time they get to Aquaman, is more primed to take the mantle that he has thrown off for so long. And just again, that idea of responsibility and what it means to pick up responsibility is was big. Uh, I, I can't really add anything to that. I'll pull a pin and throw the grenade and say that everything having to do with Aquaman in this, I enjoyed far more than the actual standalone movie. And uh, was glad to have it. Willem Dafoe is fantastic in everything. Willem Dafoe yeah. was amazing yes. in this. He only had, I think, one speaking scene, right? But he was in two scenes. Um, and it, he just draws you in. He just draws you in. And I like I, I like his look better uh, in the, in this mm-hmm. film than in than in the Aquaman movie. I mean, everything about this movie about yeah. Justice League is better you than could, the Aquaman movie. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could yes. tell specifically that Snyder had a vision for what the Aquaman world would look like that they definitely changed yeah. once his version of Justice League didn't come out and they barely spent time in Atlantis at all um and so i mean and and in some ways you know it gave James Wan i guess the freedom to do what he wanted to do in his movie which you know i can't necessarily complain about because i want Zack Snyder to have the freedom to do what he wants as a director I want James Wan or any director to have that same freedom. Um, but I do, John, you know I like the Aquaman movie, but I do think that some of Snyder's choices in here um, for what Atlantis in this world looks like are more intriguing than what we actually got in the Aquaman film. Now, be- yes, before <laughs> before we move on to uh, Beloved Mother, Beloved Son, which is about Cyborg, I do want to say... I love that when we were at the end of the Age of Heroes, the 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 story <laughs> when uh, when they they divided up the mother boxes and the Atlanteans, you know, they have like this giant octopus kind of like tentacles, like you know, put it together and then like they put it on a pedestal and everyone's around it. And then you have uh, you know, the uh, the Themyscarans, uh, you know, like you know, you know, devote an entire building to it, just a, a dome to surround it. What do the men do? Yeah, let's put it in the ground, let's bury it, and let's forget about it. <laughs> Right? Yeah, just put it in a hole in the ground. It'll be fine. <laughs> eh. Who's going to look for it? To be fair, to be fair, that was the last box that was found. 
It's true. Absolutely because true. it was not on a pedestal with a bunch of people standing around exactly. it. Exactly. It's that, yep. this is very true. <laughs> Drawing attention to itself, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah, no, I, I heartily agree with you guys. Yeah, so part three, like you said, Tristan is beloved mother, beloved son, and it is going to be the cyborg story, but we do get the flash scene first, which Oh yeah, that did come first, didn't it? Man is uh one, guys, big belly burger can kill you. Or kill somebody else. So be careful. Uh, I love that he was eating Big Belly Burger, which is a DC Comics reference, uh, which is fantastic. Um, which I those should just exist. I would go to a place called Big Belly Burger personally. Like okay, with this, I I really like this scene. And like when he grabs the hot dog, I lost it. Like I laughed yes, out loud. Yes. But that tr- that truck driver, he was he had his face down trying to grab that burger for an inexcusable amount of time <laughs> like I, which you know i mean given how long i see people looking at their phones while they're driving in traffic that's true. completely believable that's very true uh, you're right i was gonna call i i agree big belly burger i love the fact that uh gardner is on the name of the truck yeah. that he's driving yep. which is yep. just that's that's the type of nod that I enjoy in movies like this, where like if you if you don't know the name Gardner, whatever, but if you do, you're like, ah, I see what you did. Cool. You know, it's just it's a cute little wink. Well, and and what I love about the scene, too, is this is a place, again, where I think Zach has thought probably a ridiculous amount of time about how the speed force works. And so the fact that. Flash cannot just grab somebody and move quickly away makes so much more sense because nobody else in the planet except for like picking up like Wonder Woman or Superman could have could could stay together as a human being going that fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for him to have to like, you know, slowly like grab them and just kind of like direct move them. them. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that. Their their force of motion isn't so jarring that it would kill them, right? Like I, all of that was beautiful, and that just the scene itself is beautiful. Look, I mean, the way that Zach shoots and the way that the coverage she gets, the I mean, uh, Fabian uh, Warner here is the DP, and Wagner. I think Wagner, excuse me, he does a fantastic job. I think of of helping Snyder create the look for this, and. Here, you know, all of these scenes are, I mean, when he punches through the glass, which we saw in that original trailer, it's just such a great shot. Like, Zach understands how to make splash pages better than Mm -hmm. any other comic book director out there. Like, he knows exactly what he's doing. Um, And this scene was a great introduction to Flash um, just as a character as well. And I, I really enjoyed it. I think that actress that he saved is actually going to be in Flashpoint, right? Well, she is, she was cast in his movie originally too, to be, she's Iris West and she, they did recast her to be in the Flash movie, which in some ways is interesting because it kind of makes this movie canon in some ways. So nice job, Warner Brothers. Nice job. I'll take it. Uh, Plus Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton are going to be in that film. So, you know, there you go. Um, You know, we we have uh, some really interesting scenes with, you know, the Atlantean mother box and the mind probe that happens, which is interesting with uh, uh, Steppenwolf. 
we get a small uh, you know, Lois scene. A, a quick, quick time out on the mind probe thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, the character design, great. Love everything having to do with art direction and all of that stuff. Uh, but I was legitimately thinking about this. Uh, can we move away from spider like things? I hate spiders, <laughs> right? Can bad guys maybe just jump on the train and be like, you know, if I brought out a little teddy bear, maybe it would relax people and have them start talking because Look the whole directly spider- into the llama. <laughs> Look directly <laughs> into the llama. Thank you. Exactly. A llama, just, but it's supposed to be dead. As, as somebody who's something of an arachnophobe, the, the spider thing is really played out for I'm me here. I'm kind of wondering if the almost spider star-like shape that that's supposed to be is a, almost a Starro reference from DC Comics. Starro I, is a, a mind pro, uh, uh, yeah. uh, amazing telepath. And, and so I'm wondering if that's supposed to actually be the reference. But uh, yeah. Still in favor of the teddy bear approach. I understand. But hey, that's me. Um I, I did like that we also get, you know, a short Bruce and Diana scene where they're talking about, you know, like she doesn't really trust Atlanteans and all. And again, I really love how this connects with the whole thought process of you have to take that leap of faith and the trust part comes later. And so I, I really appreciated that. But honestly, you know, uh, this section is devoted to Flash and Cyborg. Um, and we finally, finally get victor's introduction as to what happened to him him as a character and it's one of the most moving sequences of the film yep the fact that it was cut out uh and and this is one place where i am going to reference this 2017 joss whedon should be ashamed of himself for cutting this out um not only is it an incredible storyline that also connects with man of steel very well by giving Vic a very like Man of Steel sequence where he's learning his powers, much the same way Clark does with the voiceover and talking about his responsibility and all, which is phenomenal. You know, Hollywood is supposed to care about people of color and having stories, and Ray Fisher kills it here. And the fact that this was not there in the first place is a travesty. The fact that it's back is a triumph. And this storyline, I think, was a triumph because I I get choked up every time when he is watching the woman uh, at the yeah. oh, ATM. Oh, man, I can't. I and can't when he it. <laughs> he makes the choice to to give her that increase because nobody else cares about her. It's this beautiful moment in it. And, and uh, John, I don't know. Uh, or Tristan, too. This really connected with me, that idea of the widow with the might uh, and the New Testament, you know, the parable that Jesus tells about the widow who gives her last pennies. Uh, And Mm -hmm. this is the woman who does that, and yet nobody's there for her. And finally somebody sees her, and he uses his power the same way he used his his intellect beforehand, which is to help a friend at school. Um, He uses it correctly, right? You know, his father talks about you could do literally anything technologically. You could annihilate the entire planet with a thought uh, if you wanted. And what does he do? He helps a woman who nobody else sees. And it's such a beautiful reflection of, I think, the way that so many people in our culture have felt, which is unseen. And we've seen the the talk about that all over the place. But it's such a beautiful picture of somebody finally being seen and being helped. And it's just... I get choked up every time I think about it. It's it's this whole 
section is brilliant. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's pretty <laughs> it's it's crazy that he was barely a side character in 2017 and then in this version he's he has more to do and more to say and more to feel than Batman. You know, it's just it's 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 crazy the impact that his character has and how many different directions they could have gone and where he could have gone in the future and it's it, it it's it is genuinely heartwarming and it also it it not only does it make does it reference previous stuff or previous themes but it also sets up other people's motivations much more where like in the in the theatrical cut you have one woman talking with with cyborg and she just talks about um you know she alludes to steve trevor like oh i lost somebody too and everything like that and it, it, it just evokes this thought of like why are you still talking about him move the hell on but then when you see this version and you actually see what happened to cyborg and you see him lose his mom and how his dad wasn't there and how he loses his you know he thinks he loses his humanity and he loses his body and everything like that it shows that Diana is trying to show empathy about how it's not just her, you know, hung up on an, on, a, on an old boyfriend that she knew, you know, a hundred years ago. It was like, no, like you feel like you feel a huge amount of loss. I can't even imagine what that, what you're going through. I once lost somebody and I wanted to shut myself off. It just makes even like, not only does it make the movie make more, like, uh, more sense, it just shows character motivations and it makes the scene work better. It just, it, it, I, I cannot put into words how crazy it is that this was ever taken away in any way, shape, or form. Like, even if you just added just, yep. just a little bit, just even a little bit. Uh, yeah. I, I love yes. it, too. I, I completely agree. Uh, and I think you can't discount uh, Ray Fisher's performance. Uh, it, it, let's set aside everything else that has been exposed or spoken about. I'm not talking about any of the, the heavy stuff that, that has come to light or anything like that. I'm talking about taking all of that stuff away. If I were an actor and I gave a performance like this that made this character who has all of this CG stuff all over him and all of that stuff and I gave a performance that strong just to see it end up on the cutting room floor, that would have been reason enough for me to be just through the roof angry. Because look at all of this work that is fantastic, that should be recognized and appreciated because it's words on a page, it's a director, it's a director of photography, all of this stuff, but the actor is a very important piece of that. And Ray Fisher, I think, makes that whole part work and and sing when, you know, it could be serviceable, but he he gives such a human performance uh, in cyborg that that's what makes uh his character so uh you know so resonant it would have been easy to play it as a stoic character which he did yep. but you see the pain underneath very easily yep. and you see it behind his eyes you see it in his expression well he doesn't he doesn't always say a lot you can tell what he's thinking and what he's going through which gets back to something yeah. that that Matt and I have talked about, uh, you know, through through this whole journey on, on Snyder Cuts is is something that I always always will give um, recognition to is Snyder gets great performances out of people. He he gets people to show up and be those characters on set, 
And I think Ray Fisher is another example of the, the like Ebert. I, I make reference to this all the time. Ebert always said he was never hard on excessively hard on actors because the actors are doing what the directors tell them to do. And so it's the director's responsibility to get the actor to respond to everything, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that this performance shows that there was an very, uh, empathetic director behind the camera who was able to speak with a talented actor to get this performance on a screen. Well, and this is one of those places too, where, I mean, cause we've, we transitioned to the flash scene where he visits, visits his father in prison and another incredibly moving scene. You know, Billy Crudup is amazing. I thought in this scene is as well as Ezra Miller together as, and, and what you get is all of these characters who, you know, they have these massive tragedies in their lives, right? And what are you going to do with those tragedies? Are you going to, and this is something that thematically plays out in the entire film, are you going to let it make you a victim? Or are you going to make and let it make you a conqueror, right? And they all overcome these incredible things, but they have, they do it together. Like, that's the whole point of this movie is like, you need each other to help you through these tough times and to overcome and, you know, I really enjoyed the scene with, you know, Flash and his dad because it is a heart-wrenching scene because I can't imagine, I mean, I'm not a dad, but both of you are. And to be in that kind of scene where, you know, as a father, you felt like you were holding your kid back from being the very best thing that they could be. Like, I can't even imagine what that would feel like as a dad, but I felt like Krupp plays it so well. And as a travesty, he will not be able to be back for the Flash movie. And partially that's because they, they've got some scheduling conflicts because it was supposed to start shooting and COVID messed everything up like it did or everything else. And so now he's unavailable. And so it's disappointing because, I mean, here he just, he nails the performance. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Maybe they could do uh, an episode two sort of thing and film him over an actor that uh, was on set at the time. You know, just go out with a portable blue screen map them in you know if that's what you need to do and of course this is also too where we get you know flash being introduced to bruce for the first time and it, it it's a great scene as well um i love the way that it plays um and one of the things i think that this movie does really well is that it plays the humor much more organically uh, mm-hmm. you know, we're not just trying to make jokes that kind of comes from the characters and who they are. And, and that's a scene there that I really like. Um, but I just also love that Flash is the first one to be like, oh no, I'm ready to join. I just need friends. Like, like he needs the community and he kind of helps, you know, and, and he kind of plays obviously in throughout the film, the character who's the, the younger one, right? You know, he's the, the little brother of everybody. Um, and a little bit too enthusiastic, but this team needs that, you know, like it needs that energy. Yeah, I love that. It's, so, like, it's like, oh, that's, that's your, that's your, that's your symbol. That means, that means, yeah. that means we gotta go. And I just, I love Bruce's response where he's like, yep. Yes. That's, that's yep, what that that's means. That's what it means. <laughs> well, and, and the look he gives Diana afterward where he's like, yeah, you know, what are you gonna do? <laughs> like, I can run really fast. We need him. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, I think this is the first time, like, Flash actually says Wonder Woman in this movie. I think that's the first time we actually hear the words Wonder Woman. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Well, and uh, so you you talked a little bit about this and and we get that scene where um 
Wonder Woman and, and Cyborg meet. And I just, you know, I really love that scene because, you know, where he is, he's at a place where he's literally like, and he says, F the world, you know, like he doesn't care. He doesn't want to care, you know, um, and I, I thought that this was really strong. If, are we going to allow our circumstances to dictate where we move forward? Like, are we going to let them um, meet? Like, are we going to allow them to, to beat us or are we going to be able to overcome them? You know, and um, I thought that was, to me, obviously just thinking thematically, like, I think that's a really strong message now and always, which is we're always going to be in a place where life could give us something that we feel like we can't handle and where we don't have the ability to overcome, but there is a way through it, you know, and I, I just, I don't know, something about that really stuck out to me uh, in my five watches, so... Um, the work day that's two work days and a half rushing yeah um so well and and it meant i mean what it showed me too is like it just it, life is meant for community right these these we're we're not meant to be separate we're not meant to be uh living in caves right like bruce has been doing and so you know and and all of these people have been loners wonder woman even talks about that you know i'm just coming back to the world now because i had kind of let go and i'm just re uh, you know, I'm just finding my humanity again. So, um, except that one time in the eighties, exactly, exactly. W eighty four is part of the multiverse. It is not part of this timeline. <laughs> um, brought to you by Mercedes Benz. Can we just talk about the? Uh, <laughs> I I, w- I need more J.K. Simmons as Gordon because I really thought he's funny as the character, and I enjoyed him. Uh, in the role, but Tristan's making a face. Well, no, so. I, it's, I, I didn't dislike. I mean, I mean, I, you have to be a monster to not like J.K. Simmons. Um, but I just True. don't. I don't feel like I got. We got so little that I didn't feel like. How do I phrase this? It wasn't enough to even get me to th- to think. Oh, we need more of him. You know what I mean? Like it was. Sure. I I feel like that's the point I'm at. Like, I'm not discounting what you're saying at all. Because I feel like if you gave him more, J.K. Simmons would knock it out of the park because he's J.K. Simmons. But it was just so, I'm glad that we got one extra scene, you know, like, cause in that, that was a, that was a good scene. But it was, again, it was just so little. It didn't make me yearn for more. It was just kind of there. John, what do you think? I thought it was, I thought it was fun with what he had to do. Um, he came across as a more exasperated sort of Gordon. Mm hmm. You know, like uh, he he was more of a, a honestly, I, I found his performance more um, comical in the sense, like th- th- there was almost a sensibility that seemed to bleed over from the 60s TV show of the, yeah, I'm going to go call Batman. You know, like that sort of thing where it's like, yeah, we're kind of useless. So, you know, just let me go call Batman and figure out how to deal with this sort of thing. And so like, that's sort of where that humor comes from. But at the same time, this is, you know, he said, you know, he references this has been going on for 20 years. So we're getting Gordon sort of at that. He's near retirement and sort of like, yeah, I'll go turn on the signal. It's fine. Mm, Whatever. That's what I do. You know, and then everybody (laughs) else shows up and it's like, oh, oh, okay. Now, now we're a whole bunch. All right. Fine. What did you guys, uh, this section really ends with the Atlantean fight where the second mother box gets taken. And this is a place where Zach really differentiates from the Aquaman movie that 
to talk underwater in English, you have to have an air bubble. Otherwise, you sound like a, a dolphin, um, which to me was so cool because it makes much more sense yeah. um, that you can't speak underwater in English. You have to use some sort of like high sonic frequency, basically. Um, but just the fight itself was so brutal and so cool. Uh, I, and, and when Mira is like, a, she's like, he's like, you can't escape. And she's like, I'm not trying to. And it, you know, she's pulling all the liquid out of his body. It's just like, holy mother, this is awesome. <laughs> that, that was cool. I, I did really like that. Like she utilized her power. And that's one of those powers that we actually see in the, you know, in the Aquaman film. And yep. so I, I really like that, that kind of connection. One thing that really confused me though was that I like that. I, I really like the whole dolphin thing. I thought it, it made sense. It was cool. Um, and that you had to make an air bubble in order to, you know, speak like a, that kind of language. But what really confused me was that Diana, you know, was talking with Bruce and, 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 and Diana said, Oh, well, you know, like, uh, they can only talk, uh, underwater or like, uh, they can only talk underwater. And he's like, Well, I, he was talking ab- above ground to me. But then later we see Atlanteans talk above, gra- above water. And, and then they, we also, um, you know, see him in the, in the air bubble. So I, I, I don't, I don't quite understand that. I chalk that up. You're, you're absolutely right. Headcanon moment, I guess. I said, well, Diana says that they haven't spoken to the Atlanteans for a really long time. She's mistaken. Okay. She doesn't. Maybe that's yeah. just me being like, well, I don't really want to think about this too much, <laughs> right? Which we do as fans. But I took it as like, well, it, Diana doesn't really know everything about them she's speaking from a position of authority that she doesn't have i think that's fine it just would have been such an easy line to cut you know like it would it it would if you could it would have lost nothing from the film yeah it's that is true so strange yeah i also love that this is the place where we give arthur perspective because he hasn't known anything about his mother and this is the place where we learn about you know from mara that this is why His mother left, which is not because she hated you or left you because she didn't care. She left for your safety. And now that she's not here, we don't know why, obviously. Um, Now that she's not here, it would have been her job to go figure this out. Now it's yours. And I really appreciated that, you know, this really, this is the catalyst to which, you know, um, Arthur's whole, I, I think, thought process has finally been shifted as to, you know, I, I mean, the foundation that he's built his life on has been that he thinks his mother left because he did, she didn't care. And this really kind of rocks his world to learn that, no, not only did she care, but she made a sacrifice. And this is one of those places where we help Arthur see that um, there's a cost to saving others. There's There's a cost to the responsibility that we have as adults, like – and because Mary even challenges him by saying, like, you're not a defenseless child anymore. Stop acting like one, basically, is what she's saying. And I just love that whole sequence. It's she, again, she's basically saying, man up, bro. Like, your mom left you because she loves you and it was the only way to save you. Not because she didn't love you and didn't care about you. She was willing to sacrifice that everything for you, you know, and what are you doing? And I just, it was great. If I can offer, you know, obviously all of the DC heroes have some sort of mom and dad parent issue uh, going on. Um, but what's interesting is that we're dealing with the, you know, this is the 
new era of heroes and gods and stuff like that. But what it boils down to is all of these things are, all of their arcs are about understanding that your parents are human, which is something that all children go through. That you go from a stage of seeing your parents as gods and then the switch flips and you suddenly see your parents as humans like everybody else is. And so a lot of the issues that you see, including with Aquaman, including with Wonder Woman, including with Flash, everybody else is they're learning that their parents are limited people just the way every other human being walking on this planet is. Cyborg has to come to terms with the fact that his dad just wasn't his dad just didn't know how to deal with him, didn't know how to relate to him. And, you know, all of those sorts of things. I mean, it, it's all laid out there. And I just I think that's probably in all honesty, I think that's what really gives a, a, an important sort of heft to these characters is actually the fact that they're going through a very human sort of experience for all of the godlike stuff that is layered on top of them in these stories. Yeah. No, I I mean, I completely agree, Um, which leads us to four, part four, uh, Change Machine. And, you know, this is where we get the that big battle finally with Steppenwolf as the team kind of puts together where he is uh, and... Man, I, you know, this, this battle is just so cool. Uh, I love that we actually have a reason for Bruce having this thing called the Nightcrawler, you know, where, uh, Flash even makes the joke, like, uh, if all of these guys are coming, we're going to need a bigger car, <laughs> you know, and he's like, oh, I've got something bigger, you know, and so we bring this, that, like, uh, that's another moment where it's like, we set up in the dialogue why something's happening. You know, or why something exists in the universe. It's not just a thing there to be cool. Um, but man, I, I also really appreciate that this fight does something thematically, which it's going to propel them to get to the point where they realize we need to bring Superman back. This fight shows that they can't do it just for the five of them. They need somebody else. Uh, they need somebody of Superman's power level. As strong as they are together, they're not strong enough. And, so I love that kind of this entire movie, we've all, all of them have had battles basically with Steppenwolf for the most part on their own and haven't been able to win. They come together without Superman, they can't win. And they realize, oh crap, we, we need the guy who's dead to come back because in the end, it was the mother boxes telling us in the first place that they were scared, that they're scared of Superman. So we need to bring him back. Well, it it also organically, I think, um, really sets up exactly how powerful the foes are that they're going against. That we're we get these standalone movies, and we're used to Batman overcoming obstacles. We're you know we we see Wonder Woman overcoming all of these sorts of things and fighting other demigods, and eventually we see Aquaman doing the same sort of thing. But like. I, I think it, like we see all five of them and we see how powerful they all are. And the fact that all five of them together can't take out this guy. It really, I think just in a, in a very uh, natural sort of way elevates the villain. And then when you find out that the villain is afraid of somebody else, 
you think to yourself, oh my gosh, how, what power level are we talking about here? Like we, we saw the, we saw Darkseid get manhandled in the age of heroes, but it sort of really escalates everything to see these five who we believe could really do tremendous things on their own to have them come in there. And then additionally to have it be that Superman is the linchpin gives added weight to his character overall. I'll also say that when they get to that point where they realize that they need Superman back is sort of the moment where I look at it and I say, this is where it would have been split into two movies, right? Is they come with the realization and Bruce sits there and he says, we need him back. And you see that, that heroic image of Superman flying and I could see it just go bang and the credits roll. And it's like, you know, part two coming in six months. Like that would have been a tremendous ending where I'd be like, what? No, no, I need more. I didn't think of it that way. But yeah, I, th- I, I think if if it was like if there was some sort of contract that that Snyder had, <laughs> where it's just like, no, this is this is my movie. And they're like, OK, fine, we're going to split it up. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that definitely could have been it. Oh, one thing, and also like seeing these people get beat and like, what tier are we at? It's kind of reminded me of like whenever Worf got his ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, wow, this alien's not messing around. Right. Um, but one thing that I really enjoyed was, and I don't feel like I got this in 2017, was the motivation of the mother boxes where, or the use, the, the real use of yeah. the mother boxes was to terraform that's what it's about it's kind of like you know it's kind of like man of steel you know where you know, like the the purpose of the mother boxes was to terraform the planet and change everybody into slaves and and make them into parademons and everything like that so it's the change machine and you know when we get that exposition of you know what they are and why they're used it's like oh hey well if they if if they can change matter maybe they can bring this you know kryptonian back to life it just it made since like this is the leap of logic that they're gonna i'm not not leap this is gonna the step of logic that they're gonna take because they have these tools at their disposal you know like before we destroy them or before you know, the bad guy gets them let's utilize them for our own purpose uh i don't feel like i got that in 2017 maybe i'm forgetting i don't yeah. know um but i feel like it was it was much better laid out uh well, you know, i think here. just the fight itself is so cool i mean you know, we get everybody doing different things. You know, we get, uh, you know, Flash, I thought, really shines in this scene. He can do some really cool stuff. Like when he saves all those people from the falling rocks, just a great sequence there I thought was really cool. Um, of course, you know, you have the scene that was in 2017, but I think it's even better here where he's running around the silo and he, you know, dinks the sword back to Wonder Woman and she lands and thankfully Flash doesn't land on her boobs this time. Um, you know, so like that, the whole sequence there was great. But again, what I also love is that for all that the team is able to do, you know, we really do, like you were saying, John, we show how powerful Steppenwolf is. I mean, you know, he's taken everything they've got and he's still standing, you know, and the only reason he leaves is because he gets called by the mother boxes. And we learn this lesson from the mother boxes, which is the planet from, you know, which we all know, but they didn't, is the the same planet. This is the place of anti-life. This is what's going to not only make the stakes where they were, which is, oh, our ter- planet's going to be terraformed, but... No, this is where Darkseid could now rule the entire universe. 
uh, if he gets this. And so, like, we've just take we've just taken the stakes, which are already very high, uh, to galactic spanning. You know, so I it's 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 really well done. Like the way that they're working all this out is is in uh, putting it all together. The way each one of these pieces is fitting together as this puzzle for the story is is really well done and and I just I really appreciate um again this is where Terrio I think in his script uh it's kind of genius honestly yeah and I, and I think it's really great too to acknowledge the fact that technology is neither good nor evil it's simply about who's using it and there you go I I mean granted there are certain technologies where they lend themselves to you know <laughs> the mother boxes lend themselves to you know, planetary domination and stuff like that because they're such powerful technology. But at the same time, you know, a good person using a certain technology, you know, look at Cyborg. Cyborg has literally the power over all of the world's networks. He's a walking Skynet. And the only thing that prevents that from happening is his humanity. Skynet. Yeah. I mean, his dad invented Skynet. Isn't isn't that pretty slick? Isn't that pretty slick? <laughs> it's true. Um, the last part of this section here that I thought was um, really interesting is obviously we have this Lois being visited by Martha, and yet it turns out to be Martian Manhunter. And I wanted to hear what you know you guys thought of this part of the story because i thought this was a really fun way to introduce him but it was also really an impactful discussion between these characters who have a very unique perspective on the loss of clark and i thought it brought home the the very personal nature of losing this character um and not only that i mean the way amy adams plays it is so beautiful when when um quote unquote Martha says, you know, I see that S everywhere. And there's this tiny little smile that comes on Amy Adams face. And you know exactly what she's thinking is when Clark said, it, it's not an S on my world. It stands for hope. And then she says, of course, well here it, it, it's an S, you know? And, and so like the whole scene was, I just thought was one of those moments where you had these two characters interacting, and it was really beautiful. Nobody tells anybody they're thirsty, um, and uh, it's just uh, it, it. It was another heartrending moment because we're back to being the super concentrated, the super personal uh, consequences of the actions of a character who was willing to sacrifice themselves and those that are left. I completely forgot that John was going to be in this film. Like, I know that that was leaked some time ago, but I 100% forgot. And so when I saw it, when I saw him transform into the Martian, I literally gasped. I was like, oh my God, that's right. You know, and, and I, was, I just thought it was so cool. But then at the same time, I was like, this completely undercuts the emotional impact of the scene before, which I really enjoyed. I see what you're saying, but then to have him transform into the general that we've seen in Man of Steel and then BVS, I thought was the nice touch because we understand his emotional connection to everything. And we understand why he had, he felt the need to appear as Martha sort of thing. So I'm sort of like trying to have my cake and eat it too, to say, I get what you're saying. I agree. But what mitigated 
that for me was having him turn into the general that I'd seen in the previous two movies so that I could make the connection of, oh, oh, okay, I get it. Yes, he is legitimately emotionally impacted, and he was wise enough to know that him talking to Lois, like, you know, as the general, would not have the same impact as talking to her as Martha. Well, but I, and I, I see what you're saying, Tristan, but on top of what John was saying, the other thing that I realized that I thought was really beautiful is when he says, the world needs you, Lois, when he walked and he's out in the hallway. And I'm reminded that Lois has been the key to these movies, not just for Superman, but in and of herself, right? Like she's the one who was smart enough to be able to figure out who Superman was in the first place. She's the one who helped save the world, the man of steel, right? You know, she's the one who puts together what Lex's plan was, uh, and helps Superman understand those things in BVS, right? She has been integral to this story and from the beginning, right? And knowing that he's Martian Manhunter now means that he knows a lot more than he's ever let on to anyone, you know, and, and he also knows exactly who she is to Clark and who she has been and, and what she's done and all these things. So to me, it wasn't quite the loss that I guess you, you were kind of saying where it kind of mitigated. I felt like it just made it different than you thought it was, but it's coming from a character to which now we realize really has known this character probably better than she knows herself because, I mean, he's a telepath. So, I mean, he knows a lot more than he's let on. Um, well, I thought and, it was and to just me, like that a, really meant something. I thought it was like a... I, I think... I, I see what you guys are saying, and I'm not disagreeing, but I think, to me, it felt like a loss for the character. Sure. Because... No, I, I get that. Yeah. Yeah, like, because that that's a very special moment. I mean, that's a, that's a yes. beautiful moment that she thought yeah. she was having with her future mother-in-law. Yeah. And I think that's what kind of like knocked it down. I, I feel like I, I was, mm-hmm. I liked that they showed John, I agree with you. I like that they showed him turn back into the general because you're like, yes, this is someone who's invested in her life. Someone who cares about her and wants her to come back to the light. Mm. It's not just a manipulator. Like he actually cares about her. Completely yeah. agree with that. Yeah. But I, I felt like it was a loss to Lois. And because gotcha. I mean, those kind of moments are very, life building and relationship building yeah. and everything like oh, that. Yeah. So I think that's sure. where I'm coming from. It's a good point. No, I, I think, I think you have an excellent point. Um, so, uh, we're on to part five, all the King's men and, um, well, uh, we're going to bring Superman back, but before we do that, I really love the connection in the, um, the, you know, they're exhuming Superman's body. Um, and I really love the conversation that we had with Wonder Woman and, Aquaman, where, you know, he talks about how, you know, uh, he hates his people as much as the Amazons do. And I love that Diana is just like, you know, hate is useless. You know, hate like that doesn't the these kind of like grudges that just go on for generations and generations. They help no one, you know, um, and to let go of that hate and, and that. What we see in this is that with when people get to know people as people instead of as the quote-unquote other or group that they put them in, that they can come together because they find commonality and they find connection. And I love that that's a theme in this movie without anybody ever saying that. It's just 
it's organic to the film and to me that this scene was the the, the a real impetus for that theme well and that even ties into man of steel the idea of ju- and bvs right the idea of judging a person individually versus the group in which you've placed them right because the whole thing that bruce is dealing with is kryptonians do bad things superman kryptonian therefore superman bad Whereas that carries through to this is the realization that each person, each individual should be judged on their own character as opposed to whatever bucket you choose to place them in or that they happen to be a part of. And and I thought it was kind of cool, like (laughs) this whole scene, we uh, talk about exactly how old Wonder Woman is, which is 5,000 years, which that's crazy. That's a long time to have been alive. So, um, uh, you know, this whole part again is about you know operating on a faith um you know the whole conversation between bruce and and alfred and the fact that he's operating in a whole different way now which i really love seeing that happen and i love the relationship between alfred and and bruce because you can tell alfred's worried you know that you've put together this team of metahumans you're not a metahuman is basically what he's saying maybe you should bow out now or you're gonna die kind of thing and um, Bruce is like, no, I, this, this is, this is who I am. This is what I got to do. Um, so I really liked that. Um, and you, you joked about how in BVS he was kind of useless with doomsday and, and then like in this section, like when they actually bring Superman back, like, you know, like, you know, flash, you know, zooms over there, Aquaman jumps and Wonder Woman jumps and, and, uh, you know, cyborg flies and then like five minutes later, you see Batman right. kind of like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. Well, um, right before we bring Superman back, um, we learn that uh, a character is pregnant. Which do do we wow. know that she's pregnant? We do. How do we know that? Yeah. One Zach said so online, um, and uh, they say at the very end of the movie, um, one. Lois is carrying a bassinet into the house uh, at the farm, and Bruce tells him, I hear congratulations are in order, or something to that effect. So, um, yeah. I I just figured there was no way they were showing a pregnancy test in two shots uh, back-to-back without there being a reason. Because the the drawer is open, and you see the pregnancy test, and you go, oh? And then it cuts to her, and then it shows the pregnancy test again, and you go, Oh, like that's that was basically the reaction. It's called I had. force majeure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I like, I, I'm, I'm willing to presume that Lois has not gone out on the town to uh, deal with her grief about Superman, and so most yeah. likely, you know. Well, and and I think what I loved about this part though is that I think maybe you could have people complaining about you know Lois, you know, mourning in this way and kind of not going to work and all that, but to learn that she's pregnant makes that a whole different story when the man that you love has died and you're pregnant with their child that makes the mourning period completely crazy um you know having a friend who's pregnant right now and she's had morning sickness the first few months which was horrendous like you know just knowing what that can do to to a person's body right you know alone and then mourning like it makes much more sense, I think, for her to have had such a much more intense mourning period than uh, 
then it just kind of like if you know she hadn't been pregnant like two months or whatever zach uh in the chat when we were watching the movie with him he mentioned he said it's been around two months or so since you know superman's died okay that's that's good to know because like the the timeline made it feel like it was actually quite compressed like because you know when they're talking about you know it was i think when when you get the the first mother box it was something like six days like after the death of superman Mm -hmm. and so that's yeah i feel like uh the timeline in justice league and its distance from batman v superman everything like that has always been kind of nebulous so that's 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 cool to hear yeah well, because and then this movie too. Earlier, Alfred says something about when they're talking about you know Lex Luthor's warning, and he's like, "It's been quite some time since Luthor gave his warning," you know. So it's been a few months. So I, yeah, I like that too. Um, uh, gosh, I mean, the bringing him back sequence is better. The fight sequence is better. But I just really love that um, we added back in the fact that, we're, and we're giving the illusion to the the end of the movie with Flash basically turning back time you know uh and i love that the, the the fact that we're playing with that and obviously we're looking towards at this point we're looking toward a flashpoint movie that was going to be happening so we're introducing that idea here and man the whole sequence of him coming back and the fight sequence that they have it's still just as entertaining but it's even even better here um and i love it i mean it's it's a great way to make your heroes have to fight each other organically. Uh, yeah. I, the, the only, the only thing I can possibly add is that I will never not laugh when, uh, Superman's eye moves to track flash and, and Ezra Miller's (laughs) face makes that huh face. I laughed when it was in the theater. I laugh now. I will always laugh because that is such a perfectly played scene even though I know it's coming when Superman's eye moves, it's it's such a beautiful demonstration of exactly how powerful Superman is, where you go, oh dear, that's why they need him back. And also the the music overall is yeah. so oh, gosh, yes. much oh my gosh, better. Yes. Oh it's just I, so much. It's yeah. so improved yeah. throughout the entire well, thing. And of this course. is before we got you know, Superman raising, this is another place too where we're alluding to what's coming next, where Victor gets the premonition, the vision of what could happen with Superman back and the whole anti-life thing. Um, we get a picture of, of, you know, I mean, this is where we see Diana's dead. Arthur's died. Um, you know, like the, the world does not go well. Um, because of this and the Kryptonian ship is afraid of the mother box, you know, which, you know, we learned from Silas earlier that uh, or cyborg story that Silas had put together the fact that the mother box and Kryptonian technology were kind of linked in the sense they were both extraterrestrial and they had similar properties, but were from different cultures and everything. And so um, but you get this whole thought process of history that the Kryptonians have had interactions with Kirby's fourth world characters in some way, shape, or form in their expansion across the universe, you know, thousands of years ago. So, like, just, it, it shows you the depth of what Zach is, and, and Terrio here are digging into, comic book-wise, 
um, with just a few lines. I thought that's where we were going to get the nightmare sequence. I was actually pretty surprised right. that we didn't get it there. Because when when we get that flash of that premonition and we see Cyborg kind of linked into it, it it felt like it anchored Nightmare Batman a bit more. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, like, you know, we skip ahead and then, you know, like Joker even talked about like the multiverse, you know, like how many, you know, you know, like I can't remember the line exactly, but it also shows you that like maybe this isn't just a premonition, you know, like maybe this actually has happened at one time or in one universe and something like that. And then to see cyborgs, you know, like actually experience that it, like I said, it anchors it for me. And, um, I, I wanted to spend more time there. I was just like, no, no, I want to see that. Go back, go back. I was so surprised at how short it was. Well, and I, I want to ask you too, we lose another parental figure with Silas sacrificing himself. And to me, this is where organic nature of introducing things has really helped. Like they've introduced this electron laser with the conversations. Uh, they've introduced the idea that the mother boxes love heat. Uh, and superheating things with this laser. Uh, we introduced Ryan Choi, which is really cool because he's the Atom. Um, uh, and that's organic because he's just working here, so that's fun. Um, but I love the sequence that we, again, we see the sacrifice of being a hero where Silas knows what needs to be done and he knows what his son can do and he's willing to put his own life on the line the same way his son is doing these days now, that he's a hero. You know, that he has these gifts. And and I just, I love that about this film is that we are talking about what it means to be a hero is willing to do what's right regardless of the cost. And, you know, that's really good. And I'm glad that the the dad's death wasn't in vain because it really makes you scared there for a little bit. You're just like, no, 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 no. Yes. Like, don't, don't tell me that was for nothing. Don't tell me that was for nothing. So... We're uh we're at part six, guys. Uh, something darker, and um, can I just say how much I enjoyed having all the farm sequences back? Like the whole time that we spend with Lois and Clark at the farm, it's just so heartwarming and beautiful. And like, I love the fact that. The sun is rising, you know, like um, it's it's so thematic and beautiful. This idea that Superman is back and the sun is rising and it's every scene with them is great. The fact that Martha arrives, you know, is great. The fact that Superman even says, you know, Clark's like, I've been given a second chance. I'm not going to waste it. You know, it's just it's all such great stuff. and, And as a fan of the character, you know, it's everything you want when he returns. I yes. I agree. Um, the only thing I could possibly add is that I would have sacrificed a little bit earlier in the movie uh, for more time with this because yes. I did enjoy it so much. Yes, and and it it would have you would have lost nothing to trim a couple of bits here and there earlier to have this take even more time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for everybody that says, "Oh, you know, this Superman doesn't smile here." This smile is very earned when he's looking out there and he's talking about right everything. Um, and I just, I really, really enjoyed it. I felt like this was the moment where he became the Superman that I always thought he was going to be sort of thing. And that, that moment when he's holding his girls and the look on his face, mm-hmm. yep. you know, yeah. it just, yeah. 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 
Well, and the, and what I love in this whole thing is there's that moment where he's putting on his shirt and, you know, you can tell his brain still isn't quite all there yet, you know, and then he just looks outside and he's like, my mother loved it here. I did too. And he just looks at that swing, which, you know, we know from Man of Steel and like, there's this beautiful connection to this place that has grounded him that it's not just Lois that makes him choose this world, right? It was his parents. It's what they did for him. It's how they raised him. It's this place that it, where he, his character was forged, right? And so, um, I, I really appreciate that about this film is doing that. And like you said, Tristan, that moment where he's holding his mother and his fiance is, and, and the smile on his face, the, life on his face you know is is well earned so um and i have to say when he goes to the ship and then we have both fathers talking to him yeah it's also very powerful as well and new lines recorded perfect Yeah. yeah so it's great it's it i'm so glad that they did that because um again it harkens back to the last two movies and it sets you on the path to where you want this character to go and, and to have it be Paul Kent that tells him fly Clark. It's just, that's, that's a really powerful moment, you know, for the character who was always so scared of his son being out in the world to tell him to fly is it's a really nice culmination of that whole arc. Yeah. I agree. And the regeneration suit <clears throat> got a oh. got a big screen version mm. of that. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess it ironically really not on good. the big screen, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. it really <laughs> someday, does look good someday. though. Um, couple things I was thinking of is that I love that we um, not only have a reason for Steppenwolf to be in this place uh, at the beginning. But we talk about what he's been doing there and why he picked this place that's so toxic because it's been helping him build this base, which thank you for making that all make sense now. That's wonderful. Um, And I love that this whole Russia battle, this whole battle of these characters is about them learning to trust each other together. Like this whole sequence is astounding. Like I've seen this movie five times and I love this whole sequence so much Every shot is just like another splash page from a comic book. It is, um, I think it may be the most metal thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like, uh, it, this is, you know, the DC Comics had, um, a Scott Snyder, uh, did, uh, a series called Metal and then he want, did one called Death Metal. And like, that's what this whole sequence feels like is some death metal. Like, yeah, we're just going to pull out all the stops. I just want to jump back to what you were talking about, about the, the reason why we're there, you know, like why they have the base, why it makes sense and everything like that. We also got a reason as to why it would be safe for the Justice League to go there, where he utilized all of the toxic energy to make his shield, you know, and so that's why it's safe for them to get there. You know, like it was, again, like everything was thought out you know in in that way i i really i really liked it again one line of dialogue totally you know it's just made everything make sense it's amazing what one line can do right (laughs) (laughs) 
and again in during this during this battle you know like we see we see everybody taking on steppenwolf <laughs> and then towards the end batman <laughs> yeah i i mean john i obviously you talked about wanting more of the superman scene at the farm totally with you there um i just wanted more superman here because when he comes in and he just starts wailing on him uh it's the yeah. best i mean when he kicks him and he just fly you know and then he's got the heat vision and then when he's just repeatedly pounding him and you see from batman's view and the the force of the punches of superman are making the whole place shake because of how hard he's hitting him you're like oh yes oh yes <laughs> yeah well i mean it, it gets it gets again to that whole thing of you know, DC, these characters are dealing, are, they're on a scale that is beyond, these aren't just people that lucked into powers. These are people who have, they're off the scale. And so it, I think what, what even that, that little moment demonstrates is the difficulty I think that some people have in the audience dealing with Snyder's, uh, Snyder's, you know, DCEU sort of stuff is the fact that he brings it into the real world, but he doesn't tone them down. Right. Right. Like right. We're, if we see this as a cartoon, we're kind of like, yeah, okay. Oh, Hey, they're destroying everything. Blah, 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 blah. But then when you bring it to the real world, you're suddenly like, Oh, this is, Oh my gosh. How, how can things be like this? But this is exactly how powerful they are in the comics and the cartoons and everything like that. He just said, okay, well you want it in the real world. Here it is. And this is what it'd be like in the real world. And it's like Superman wailing on somebody would, you know, it would shake the rafters. Yeah, it reminds me of that. Um, I think it's the Superman animated series where he tells um, Darkseid, he's like, you know, I live in a world of cardboard. I'm always having to hold myself back. But with you, I don't have to do that. And here we yeah. see that, right? Like, this is the moment where Superman does not have to hold himself back in any way. He just, he just lets it all fly, you know, like, and I think that, makes for a rewarding experience you know and and so what did you guys think about the fact that this movie ends very differently in the sense that they lose first before flash turns back time i was uh, i was intrigued at first because i was wondering which which direction they were going to go like i genuinely had no idea what was going to happen next well, I mean, let, let me rephrase that. Like, I knew that Flash was gonna, you know, was gonna, like, once it actually, ex- you know, exploded and went off and everything like that, I, w- I knew that Flash was gonna, you know, correct it. But I wasn't sure on how long it was gonna take. I wasn't sure what he was gonna do or how he was gonna do it. And, uh, I think that was, that, that's a nice moment when you get the kind of, you get a, a gist of how things are gonna go, but at the same time, you, you don't know which direction they're going to take. It's a nice kind of limbo to be in as an audience member where you're not lost, but you're looking forward to what's going to happen next. Yeah. Uh, In terms of the turning back time, you know, I was okay with it in Superman, the movie. I'm okay with it here. That's fine. Yeah. That was the first thing that my brain went towards was I was like, oh yeah, that's like when Superman flying around the earth. It, it It is a hill I have died on before. It is a hill I will die on again. That's fine by me. And it works. And the thing is, you know, like it's, it's one of those things where he, again, it ties into something they have said earlier in the movie where he says, you know, 
weird things start happening with time. I don't like to do it, but I can. It's kind of like the genie from Aladdin. I I don't like pe- bringing people back to the dead. It's not a pretty sight. I don't like doing that. You know? Yeah. It's, it, yeah. So, um, yeah. No, I mean, I, John, you mentioned Superman the movie, and then I was also thinking, you know, uh, how Donner changes uh, Superman 2, of course, because that was his original ending for that. And I was thinking, well, this works so much better anyway because Flash going back in time is something that Flash can do, you know, much more organically than Superman reversing the – you know, yeah. rotation of the world. So yeah, the, the, the orbit of the earth doesn't really work like yeah, that. No, <laughs> it does not. It does not. That, that's not how this, that's not how any of this works. Um, yeah. but this whole thing, like it, not only was it shot beautifully and created beautifully in the CGI and everything, the, the, the universe they create, uh, as that's happening was really cool. But then I really love the temptation of cyborg, you know, um, and, I I love how it plays out and his answer to the temptation, you know, um, they call him the broken boy and his answer is I'm not broken and I'm not alone. And it's such a powerful message for how I think this whole movie, we talked about the kind of the thematic element of you need to, um, to overcome, you need others. Um, mm-hmm. and that once, he had found a community. It helped him overcome what what had been there. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm not broken and I'm not alone. The way to help fix ourselves is to help fix each other. And it was just really beautiful. I felt like this was a, a much... I, I agree with you. I really like that moment. I, li- I like the focus on community. I love the focus on, on building a team and coming together. I felt like this was... I'm not... I don't want to like bash somebody else, but you know, like I felt like this was a much more earned moment than in Suicide Squad, where you know you have the the guy was shooting fire out of his hands and he's just like, yeah, yeah, we're a family. Where you just <laughs> you kind of like pause for a second, you're like, are you though? But when Cyborg talks about it, where he just simply says, "I'm not broken, I'm not alone," it sounds like you know, like a self-realization and it it's it shows you that he's like he's like no 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 i like i'm i'm not broken i like i am something special and i i'm with other special people it 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 was really nice i agree no i i'm right there with you um and i also love um the way we end which is uh, <laughs> uh wonder woman cuts off his head and they send him up uh, they send him back in a body bag johnny um you know it's uh it's pretty legit, and I just uh, Dark Side crushes his head, and I was like, "Well, I guess we're gonna use the old ways." And it's like, "Oh man, I just want that movie now." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. Kind of made me sad because I'm just like, they, "It's a total setup." You know, it's it shows yeah. you're like, "Oh, Dark Side's gonna come back." You know, like we're gonna see we're gonna see that, and we're just like, mm, "We're not though." And, well, and that that is disappointing because if we're to say that Steppenwolf is the Thanos of this movie, it's like finding out that there's somebody worse than Thanos, more powerful than Thanos out there. And then they're like, eh, but there's not going to be a follow up here. It's like, no, 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 no. You do not get to throw that promise at me and then walk away. I want this thing now. Eh, I'm so. just saying fans made the Snyder Cut happen so we can make Justice League <sighs> happen, too. So, I, you know, I, I believe I people can dream and I, I'll I will yeah. dream along with them. So the epilogue is what ends the movie. 
and obviously sets up a lot of things. Um, we set up Aquaman, the movie that was to be. Um, we set up this idea of kind of like, uh, I love Silas's message being the thing that closes this to his son. This the fact that you know Cyborg goes back to listen to the message um, that we fix the world and the present and the future, not the past. So stop living in the past. You can't fix the world in the past. You can only fix the world in the present and then into the future. Like, and I thought that was really strong. Uh, we, you know, we get the 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 house back for Martha, um, and then we get. Deathstroke and Lex and another nightmare sequence and Martian Manhunter finally introduces himself. So it's a packed epilogue. I, you know, rushing, you know me. I am all about Nightmare Batman. I, I, I just love everything about that world. That was my favorite sequence in Batman v Superman. And I, I really liked this too. I like that they included the other character. You know, I, I didn't really dig on Mira in this weird British accent, but I did really like um, seeing Flash with that helmet that we saw in the, in the, in the premonition in, in Batman v Superman. And of course I, uh, you know, it was, it was so great to see um, this Batman interact with that Joker. I mean, that was the first time we ever saw that, which is crazy. And I think it's, um, I, I, I that really, I, I, all I wanted to do was want more. And you, you know, the, you say, you know, leave them wanting more. And that, that's definitely, <laughs> definitely what happened with this. But uh, I thought it was a great tone. I loved just, I just got done reading, um, the last night. And this, that scene very much felt like, um, that, that comic book where it was post apocalyptic world and Batman stuck with <laughs> the, just the head of Joker and, and uh, it, 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 it was very evocative of that kind of, um, of that kind of tone and relationship. Uh, it, I have made, um, the, the comparison that everybody goes along with the, the Marvel stingers. And then I, I did in fact see some people complain about the epilogue here. And my entire thought of it was it was before the credits instead. That's fine. You know, like, I, I'm okay with that. And I think that the I, – I agree that I think that the nightmare stuff is so visually cool and such an interesting possibility. Um, the only thing that I think – and I say this with, with, with love in my heart and with a smile on my face, but boy, you could tell that this was not filmed at the same time for uh, Ben Affleck <laughs> because it's like, oh – yeah, you didn't stay hooked on the gym, did you, Ben? And I say that seri- in all seriousness is somebody w- who I'm not bashing anything. I'm just like, even when he was in the, the the Nightmare Batman outfit, you could see that his face didn't fill it out the same way. And it's like, okay, this was all shot. All shot after the fact. I didn't really notice that until the Martian sequence. Oh, yeah. Because he really looks jumps out there. so yeah. drastically different. Yeah, because he's much yeah. thinner yeah. now. I mean, because he hasn't been lifting. Uh, what I, John, the thing though, for me, it worked in the nightmare sequence because who knows how long Batman's been living in this world where, you know. Oh, you, sure. And so that really worked. And then, of course, you the, the one that doesn't quite work as well is, is obviously what they just shot with the Martian Manhunter thing. But I mean, I, I, the sequence we get there with the Joker where they're having the conversation where 
where he's deconstructing Batman, which is is so great. I mean, the the dialogue there is phenomenal, and just the whole you know, why did you send a boy wonder to do a man's job? You know, it's like ouch Mm -hmm. like he knows exactly how to hurt batman and then when batman's just like talking about how you know harley quinn died in his arms like and the one thing she asked is that i kill you slowly and he's like make no mistake i am gonna effing kill you you're like that is awesome because you know what i just kind of want to see batman finally kill the joker once you know like he deserves it um and uh he deserves it in this year not only that, but this nightmare sequence as they pull over where the Hall of Justice used to be, Kilowog's body is just laying there. The Green Lantern. Like I was like, ooh, oh, that's a that's a deep cut. Yeah, yeah I didn't notice that. I read one. about that, but I didn't notice it when I watched it. Yeah. And apparently I think we're gonna get more Joker stuff in the in the black and white version. Hope so. It's yes. I think there's some altered scene. Zach said, you know, when he did the line about um, we live in a society, that was an ad lib that Zach didn't feel like it quite fit with the tone he wanted, and so, but it's in the black and white version. He said, oh, okay. So um, that'll be cool that that's there. Uh, you touched a little bit on this, Tristan, but can we just talk about the score for a second? before we wrap up because I feel like Tom Holkenberg just I mean to write four hours of music in a few months is insane but then to create some really beautiful moments he created that new Justice League theme he interworked all the stuff from like Man of Steel and BVS Um, and this this score goes from being John we were talking about the behind the scenes like it goes from being like classical score to rock opera to like all of these different genres in one score. And I just don't even know how he makes it work, but it all works somehow. Yeah. Snyder's always had a, had a, a great ability to put, um, you know, great songs in and everything like that. But Holkenberg, uh, this, this score feels of a piece and connected to the previous two, you know, Man of Steel, BVS, and this. And I think it's really interesting because it goes Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer and Chunky XL slash Tom Holkenberg and then Tom Holkenberg. And it all sounds of the same, uh, you know, of the same vein, which I think is huge and important. And uh, it's a really terrific score. I want to watch it again so that I can focus more on the score. And uh, I hope it's re- I, I hope it's released on Spotify. I haven't checked yet, but I, I would love to. Uh, it is. Oh, it fantastic. Is, yeah. yeah, I would love to work also, to this. Also, uh, it'll be coming out on vinyl, which I know you guys both care about. So I do. Yeah. 180 yeah. gram. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not that hipster. So. And so, yeah, I, I would love to I would love to check it out further. It's just I was just so just just relieved that it's 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 miles above what we got previously. I just miles. Oh, yes. Yes, Wait, it you is. didn't like having the wrong Superman theme shoved oh, into the movie. Oh my gosh! Before? And like, I like, I remember, like, I talked about this, like, it, you know, like on a, a previous podcast. That's how long ago this movie came out, but a previous podcast of mine, where I said I was like, how hard would it have been just to get those couple of notes, just a couple of those piano notes when Superman appears? It's you know, it's just, just all rectified yep. now. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we don't need to talk about the Snyderness, John, because we've literally just talked about the Snyderness the whole movie. It is yep. literally the most Zack Snyder movie that's ever been made. 
Um, I do want to ask you real quickly for the future. I mean, if if WB said yes, make more Justice League movies, would you all be down for that? Would you all, do you all want that in light of this? If 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 you could have yeah. what you wanted, would you say yes? Yes, if it means more nightmare, absolutely. Okay, which is pretty much the whole second movie. So, there you go. Yeah, that's Tristan what I want. Love it then. Um, Tristan's already given it five stars. Uh, <laughs> he's in his own head cannon letterbox. It's five stars, um, which means we need to rate uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Tristan, I'm going to let you go first since you're our guest, because uh, I'm. Uh, I know John's rating, uh, which normally doesn't happen because he spoiled it on letterbox for me. But where are you? Uh, I am. I think. You know, okay, like when I fir- when I first started watching this, you know, like I had to break at about two at the two hour mark, go do some stuff, but I was able to finish it that night. I was just like, I was like, man, this is a completely different movie. But then I started thinking about, like, once I actually finished it, I was like, it's not a completely different movie because the beats are pretty much the same. Like we, you know, like it, it goes through the same kind of motions and the same kind of journeys. Now, obviously, it's much more expanded, um, but it's and it's a it's a you know way better way better than what we got in 2017 and so i was a so i would say it's a it's a a completely different experience i think is what i would i I would say in terms of if comparing it to theatrical cut like you know like my if gun to my head my favorite movie of all time is kingdom of heaven the director's cut it's not a completely different movie of the theatrical cut but it's a very different experience this is even more different than that because of how much it's, it's expanded upon. And so I, I was thoroughly entertained during the entire four hours. I really liked it. But there was a lot of things that I feel like could have been could have been trimmed down. There were some editing transitions that really confused me. Like just a, like a little microcosm. Like when we see Bruce and Alfred get on their jet. Like their huge jumbo jet. And then it, it cuts to some coffee you know, like a latte being made, my brain immediately went to, wait, does he have a coffee bar on the plane? You know, like, because I was just like, oh man, I think he does. And then we kind of, we kind of zoom out and track out and it's like, oh, I it's mean, Amy Adams. Of course he does. He's Bruce Wayne. I know. And, th- and that's the thing that it was, it was within the realm of believability. And so there was a lot of moments like that throughout the movie where I thought the editing could have been, the transitions could have been better. I feel like the slow motion was way too self-indulgent at the beginning. And I say all of this just to justify that I'm giving it four stars. It's the same rating that I gave the ultimate edition of BVS. And four stars is nothing to sneeze at. I know in the podcasting world, especially on John and I's show House Lights, when I give, yes. when I give a, a rating of four stars, they act like I just slapped a nun. But no, <laughs> four stars... I, I think this is a. I think this is a great movie. I think it's really entertaining. I'm so happy that it came out, and I'd be willing to give it another half star. I think if I watch it again and I enjoy it even more. But right now, four stars. Solid motion picture. I gave it a four and a half because I think that uh, to your point, Tristan, there are plenty of things I could sort of hammer at, and uh, like I said earlier, I could. I think mentally, I could be like, okay, there's an hour, hour and a half. I could probably, you know, it's for runtime, blah blah blah. But it is a definitive artistic work it is uh an absolute statement and it also plays really well to the manner in which it was released and so it makes the most of the format so i wind up giving it a four and a half nice i mean i it's no you're gonna be shocked 
shocked, shocked. I'm, you know, it's like that Casablanca gif. I'm shocked, shocked that Matt's going to give this a five. Um, I, you know, this is, uh, this is Zack Snyder at his most Zack Snyderness, which I appreciate and love. Uh, John obviously is, or this journey uh, it's been like. I don't ever want to hear somebody say that Zack Snyder doesn't get these characters or understand these characters. Like, the, the, the love and the care that each one of these characters is given is diametrically opposed to the absolute crap fest we got in the, in the theatrical version. Um, Zack cares about these characters and, and they might not be to your liking in the sense that you know, we have different versions of these characters, and maybe that's not your. This is not quite your version, but this guy doesn't not care about them, and doesn't not get them. It just is different than what some people want. And for me, this is exactly what I want, what I love. I've, I'm a huge comic book reader, and you know, I this this hits on every cylinder I want. So I'm extremely satisfied and of course uh, i absolutely want you know Zack snyder's justice league two and three you know um give it to us uh make it happen honestly i think uh you know they're fools if they don't the amount of goodwill this movie has right now uh and and the the fan base it has like you're foolish if you don't continue uh this um at least for the two other movies so um john uh, we have to, because this is a crossover with the 602 Club um, and Snyder Cuts, we need to rank the Zack Snyder movies. Uh, and oh, uh, Tristan, I'm not going to make you do this because I know you probably haven't you know, watched all of them as recently as John and I have. But John and I have to do this because it's a part of our show. So, uh, John, do you want me to go first? Yes, go first. Okay. Uh, I'm going to start uh, with my rankings from the bottom first. And... I'm going to go with, um, of course, Dawn of the Dead, respectable three and a half, uh, as we had there. And um, then the next will be Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul. Then Sucker Punch and Watchmen right there, uh, five and four, really tied, as we've talked about. And um, 300 is number three, uh, or... I guess number four, uh, Man of Steel would be number three. Batman v Superman would be number two, and then Zack Snyder's Justice League would be number one. All right, I'm still going to go with the uh, Dead Heat between 300 and Sucker Punch, um, and then uh, honestly, I'm going to put it. Even though you know, I just gave an extra half star to Zack Snyder's Justice League. I'm probably going to wind up make it a making it a Dead Heat between uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League and Man of Steel, followed by Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice Ultimate Edition. Uh, then I will uh, then I will wind up with Watchmen. No, then I will wind up with Legend of the Guardians, actually. Then Watchmen, also kind of a dead heat there. Um, and then wind up with uh, Dawn of the Dead. It's interesting how many sort of like dead heats I have. Yeah. Yeah. You know? No, I'm right there with you. No, and part of that I just feel like is my mood. You know, what am I in the mood for? Um, right. You know, and absolutely. I think that's really cool with him as a filmmaker. So, so Tristan, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Where can everybody find you? Well, thank you so much for having me. I mean, you and I, like when this was an, a first announced, you and I were just like, okay, 
we're, we're podcasting about this. So I'm so happy that we were able to, to finally be able to. And, uh, but where you can find me is at something that you mentioned at the top of the show at the nerdparty.com. Uh, we, we all, uh, work on that network together and the three of us created it. And, uh, we're very happy with the work that we do over there. And, uh, one of my, uh, one of my shows that I'm currently doing is I mentioned it a second ago is House Lights with John Mills, where we talk, we, we pick one of our favorite directors and then analyze their entire filmography one movie at a time. Uh, we're currently on Wes Anderson and, uh, John, should I, should I preview who we're doing next or, uh, yes, preview. All preview. right. This is, this is a, this is an exclusive folks. This is the first, the people who are listening to this are the first who are going to hear about it after Wes Anderson, because first we did David Fincher. Then we did Chris Nolan. And right now we're doing Wes Anderson and next we're doing the one and only James Cameron. So please go to the nerdparty.com and check it out again. Thank you guys so much for having me. John, where can everybody find you? You know, just look for Kessel Junkie on your social network of choice. I'm active here and there. K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. Letterboxd, Goodreads, those are the places where I have the most fun. So, uh, you know, check me out over there. And you can also find me, uh, like Tristan said, over on um, the Nerd Party uh, co-hosting House Lights, where we look at the works of different directors like we did with Snyder. And then you can also find me co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast with my good friend, Matthew Rushing. And uh, you could find me uh, all over social media under the name Matt Rushing 2 uh, You can ha- find me here on the network doing Literary Treks in the Orb with Chris Jones. Uh, Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek, and the Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And, of course, um, not only uh, doing Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills on the Nerd Party Network, but also wrapping up Owl Post with Drea Kaufman as we're finishing the Harry Potter series that we've been walking through one chapter at a time. But you know what? Thank you so much for joining us. This is Snyder Cuts. And y'all come back now, you hear? Hear?